Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 24, in which I interview Wiz Garber. But first, Transformation If you'd like to listen to these in order, start with episode 18, Twin Peaks Tarot, then move to episode 21, David Crawford. This is part three, Transformations, by John Dan Reed. Chapter one, verse three. It's so sane in the white light. They message so much. I message so much. Back here in the flesh place, in the meathead brain that aches, I hear the beta body chattering trying to give my soul significance and label it, making it supermarket available and palpable, even palatable. Weird wired make-wrongers on the radio, cranking out hanged man's hope and despair for the flesh-place fear junkies, driving cars with smog chokers, complaining about pollution and natural resources dwindling and demanding at the same time their rights to drive around in cars that seat two and a half, burn petrol like it will always be there in 400 horse engines on oversized tires, all of which takes about 12 tons of the finest Appalachian coal or its equivalent per unit to build and can set the Cuyahoga River on fire at any time. I get dressed wandering through the haze of consciousness here to organize my awareness of the exactly how this world operates in comparison and contrast to all the others that I'm used to. When I stop worrying, I remember and forget where I put my glasses the night before and cuss around the house, waking the others and allowing them to think that being human is an only And now for the footnotes. Sane in the white light implying it's insane everywhere else. (laughs) Maybe down here, astral plane. They message so much, I message so much. Yeah, it's like when you wake up and you kind of come from those places and you're like, wow, there was so much going on just now, you know? Like, uh, there were a bunch of others, I was there. I was saying stuff that I knew at the time. And then as you wake up, it just fades. It fades quickly and then you're like grasping like, for straws. The way I always like to put that is when you go hiking, you bring your backpack and you choose what you're going to put in your backpack. And the more you put in there, the heavier it is. So, you know, a smart hiker will, uh, will put in trail mix, you know, water, uh, just the basics, you know, maybe an emergency kit. You don't bring the kitchen sink. You don't bring the car. You don't bring the entire Akashic record. And so similarly, when we take this journey, this sojourn into these mortal realms, and we become these babies, and we open our eyes, and we start taking in these really solid memories through the senses, and printing them in the synaptic patterns, and then more and more as we grow up, only giving significance to those printed synaptic patterns which we label reality, or that world in which we are a tiny little ant crawling on the surface of a rock in the void, and we start to ignore other, more true senses of 
reality and our sense of self. Back here in the flesh place, where he's writing, of course, on a typewriter. In the meathead brain that aches. <sighs> Poor guy. I mean, you know, he grew up in a time his mom would give him pie for a reward if he had done well in school or to make him feel better if he was sad because he had gotten beaten up for being fat. He didn't get out of that sort of American 1940s, 50s, and early 60s sense of, oh, I'm just going to eat lead and it'll be fine, you know. The really good part of Transformations is his clearly writing down his experiences about the other worlds and his reflections on this world. But it's clear that he really isn't enjoying himself on account of he's uncomfortable in his body. And that's where yoga comes in. Well, as John Dan Reeb 2.0, or as I like to call myself Edward Charles Reeb, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to upgrade. I, uh, I want to be comfortable in my skin um, and not hate waking up in the morning. And, um, yeah. I hear the beta body chattering. The beta mind, beta waves... Uh, there's the, the chattering part of the monkey immediately follows up with, I hear the beta body chattering, the body, like like the mind body, the astral body. It's interesting. Trying, in his est backgrounds, that would have been like efforting, um, not a good thing. You know, there is no try, only do or no do. It's like Yoda. By the way, I was very happy to find out that one of my heroes, uh, the original Flynn, Jeff Bridges, also went through Earhart Seminars training. And I can't help wondering if he and my dad were sitting in the same room together at some point. But when I read that on his biography, given how cool Jeff Bridges is, I've got this abide postcard in a, in a shrine area in my house. Well, it just makes me think they might both have been onto something. People get allergic because of the Scientology connection. As you may know, I have my, my segment in which I define the terms of the Church of Scientology. And I had a friend who was a psychiatrist and he was talking to me about a patient he's working with who was absolutely abused and ripped off and just completely disregarded and left for scrap like so many people um, who actually get involved with the Church of Scientology which is why I put so much emphasis on not getting involved with the organization but encouraging self-education because what is the baby in that bathwater? Well, let's you can find out. You don't need to join. You can just read it. You can just learn it. One of the things that makes a Scientologist such a weirdo is they find themselves thinking in this terminology that nobody understands. So what if you and I, the esoteric nerds, started to understand their language? And what if we could start to help others to understand their language as well? well and they might not feel so isolated, and they might feel more free to kind of cross back and forth over the line between church and real world, and then maybe, you know, be able to come back to us one day. So this beta body is trying to give, trying to give his soul significance. He gets into the word significance later, so I won't go into that too much. And label it, label the soul, making it supermarket available, like putting a UPC symbol on it or something. And palpable, even palatable. So yeah, the, the, he's talking about the chattering monkey is trying to give form or substance or a label or significance of some kind to his own soul. And then not only that, but try to spin it in a way that it's like, oh, and it's, and it's good too, and it's, uh, people like it. A beta body that's surrounded by self-help books. Weird, wired, so we're talking about synaptic patterns here.
make wrongers. And that's, again, hyphenated. I mentioned that in chapter 1, verse 2, episode 21. On the radio, again, still reflecting on the radio that is blasting because the alarm went off to wake him up at 5.30 a.m. and he hasn't turned it off yet. Or maybe he's just listening to the radio while he's waking up. I don't know. Cranking out hanged man's hope and despair. Cranking out. So we're talking about like a factory, like some kind of lever going clunk, 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 stamping cookies out, you know, at two cents a unit. Uh, hanged man's hope and despair. And this is hyphenated hanged man's. Tarot buffs will already kind of know what this is a reference to. There's uh, the card that corresponds with water and mem, and there's Odin hanging. He had to hang for 40 days, was it? And then uh, come up with the runes. If you haven't read Neil Gaiman's American Gods, read that. That'll make it all make sense. Hope and despair. So you give the hope and the despair together, like the news, you know? Except they just give the despair on the news. But to really get people into your cult, if you're living in medieval Europe, then uh, make sure you scare the crap out of them and then let them know that their only salvation is, you know, in eating your cookies. For the flesh place fear junkies. This is where he introduces the term. He'll get into that term more later, but just to break it down, it's flesh place, one word, fear junkies, one word. So, people of the flesh place, the place of the flesh, not necessarily the earth, because there's a lot more going on on the earth than just flesh. Though we humans certainly are a manifestation and an unfolding, a blossoming of the earth. So the flesh place. Fear junkies. Junkies. Addicts. Like heroin junkies on the street can't get enough fear so they just can't stop watching fox news they just can't stop pushing that fear button that paranoia button that oh my god what's going on in the 12th house oh the moon's void of course or whatever driving cars with smog chokers complaining about pollution they yeah, the contradiction between it was the 70s these were new ideas at the time now we're all kind of oversaturated with the knowledge of how much is wasted for every little styrofoam cup that we get to enjoy and then throw into the ocean to join that continent of trash. I get dressed, wandering through the haze of consciousness here, huh, to organize my awareness of the exactly how hyphenated this world operates in comparison and contrast to the all, all the others that I'm used to. I have to admit I'm a little jealous of that. I mean, I, I only have one or two other worlds that I'm used to. And then cussing around the house, waking the others at the time, that was my mother and sister, and allowing them to think that being human isn't only. This, of course, is a reference to when people say, I'm only human. Of course, what they mean when they say that is, Oh, don't, don't expect me to be perfect. I'm not Jesus. I spilled it. I'm sorry. But what's built in to the meaning of the, sta of the statement is that being human isn't only. And so he's cussing around the house looking for his glasses so that my sister and my mother can wake up and go, Ah, well, he's only human. And human isn't only. Implying, of course, that being human is far more than an only. Our guest tonight, Wiz Garber. I met him on Facebook. He's up in Seattle. And uh, when I started going with the To Be a Yogi podcast, he had suggested that his partner in crime, Jyoti, a.k.a. Melanie, be a guest. Uh, so check out that uh, if you haven't already on your favorite podcasting platform or if you go to the website for this page, just click All Podcasts on the upper left and then click To Be a Yogi. And she's in episode two. Wiz Garber was here in Los Angeles hanging out with some friends at the House of Intuition. So he actually came over and we spoke in person. I just left the phone recording the entire time, so 
some of the sound quality isn't that great, but I left it in, you know, for the words. I may have even had the phone in my pocket for a while. I apologize for that. I'm only human. So let's get to the interview, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Greetings. I heard a rumor that your name was Dan. That's my given name. Okay, okay. Is it okay to let people know? Sure. Okay, okay. But I know you as Wiz Garber. Up until today, I knew you as Wiz Garber. Let's see. So, uh, if you'd like to sit here or here. And now I'm going to edit this so that, like, some of this stuff will be cut out. Um, So, I'm going to... We'll move into the temple in a little bit. And I'll show you some of that, too. So, you were asking... Uh, No, I didn't dissolve anything. I, um... I joined a temple in a garage in Fontana. If you're interested in these stories, just listen to the earlier episodes. Skip a bit, Brother Maynard. Um, I've 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 told parts of a few stories, but I haven't gotten to the point. He builds a temple, and he's building it the way he thinks a temple ought to be built. And he's building it with the facade being presented to him. So he builds his order, he builds his temple, thinking that it's a good order, you know? And so the members think it's a good order. And then once he realizes it's not, then he's kind of like keeping quiet. Meanwhile, the membership is still excited as hell to be doing the Golden Dawn, you know? And he's just kind of like, yeah, no, it's good. But fucking this guy over here, you know? And and, uh, so it all came to a head between 2009 and 2011. And in 2011, Chicago basically led the revolution. Um, but there was a guy in Denver who is the most senior of the revolution. He's my teacher. So the shit hit Savannah in 2011. Oh yeah, 2011 March. Um, <clears throat> Skip a bit, Brother Maynard. Nick Farrell, all these people started chiming in. No, no, he can't. And I'm like, fuck you people. No, we're throwing him out. He's a shit. You have no idea how much of a shit he is. We've got to... F- Skip a bit, Brother Maynard. My teacher. Where did I leave off? I don't know which story... Thelma Levine was one of the philosophy teachers, and she had a television show on called From Socrates to Sartre. Hmm. And uh, another one of my professors is now a bioethicist. He's major. Dr. Moreno. Uh, the, the teachers there were just amazing. This was George Washington George University? George Washington University, yeah. Is it alright for me to ask around uh, what, what year that was? In the 80s, early okay. 80s. Okay. Before I became a punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This is after college. I, uh, I was married when I was in college. And after college I got divorced. And at that point I could do anything that I wanted to do in the entire world. And so I became a bouncer in a punk rock nightclub. Nice. <laughs> That's fun. I was 27, I guess. That's sort of like uh, joining the army, but more fun. Well, I'd already been in the air force. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, which is how I got the job because I had I had been trained. One of my specialty codes in the air force was as a law enforcement 
person <laughs> riding around on the base, directing traffic, and standing out at the gate and waving people in. That's what I. That's one of the things that I did. Yeah. But it looks good on paper. So if you want to be a bouncer, you yeah. know, want somebody with some experience and being able to handle to people. <laughs> yeah. I think I actually learned more in the in the nightclub than I did doing that job in the service because there's so much drama all the time that you're dealing with it it's really about psychology yeah it's not about how big you are and how badass you are it's whether you, you know you can handle the mentality of a drunk person right oh man yeah that's why hence my car being wrecked right now I really wanted to hit that guy skip a bit brother Maynard and for, for a while, I wanted to, you know, look him in the eye and say, let's you and I fight until one of us lies dying. You know, and just see what, see if he goes for it. Are, and you, then, good, are you good at that? No. Oh. No, I might be the one lying dying, but it'd be <laughs> worth it. No. I, I, I used to watch Fight Club over and over when I was, like, you know, going through a divorce. I, I, uh, this is my, I got, got married to this girl, and, uh, you know, it didn't work out. and So I started riding my bike way too fast and crashing into things and watching Fight Club over and over and getting into the idea of... And then that guy that I mentioned earlier that made the furniture was being an ass, particularly more of an asshole than usual one day. And so I squared off to him. And then he's like, uh, he said something like, hey, if you're going to square off to me, then you better fucking have something to back it up. I'm like, okay, let's go outside and fight. And then he backed off. And then, like, I kept asking him, I'm like, and he's like, I'm, I'm really sorry, you're right, I was being a dick. He gives me a hug, and he's like, are we cool now? I'm like, yeah, but do you want to go fight? Seriously, because <laughs> I've hated you for a long time. Like, you know, I love you, but let's go fight. You know, mm. I'm like, can we? I just really want to punch you in the face, you know? Like, you see, can do I, it too. <laughs> see, I have a hard time imagining being in a group, doing work like that with people that you don't like. I know, let right? Let alone love. That's why groups I mean, are, are almost impossible, because someone's going to be, someone's going to break up. Someone's going to have a fight. Someone's yeah, gonna... but boy, but it's, it's, it's a test. It's good. A, it's a test, you know, of your alchemy. Being able to... It's like a, a job, you know? Like, you, someone rubs you the wrong way, but you got to work together. But, I mean, it's even more so in an occult order, because you've got to be hierophant and hieris together for six months, and you've got to have rehearsals and, and call each other and arrange things and arrange potlucks together, and you hate each other. And, and you used to date, but now she's fucking the guy that you introduced her to, and oh, goddamn that bitch. It's you too know? bad this isn't paper. Oh, it is being recorded. Oh, it is? Yeah. <laughs> that you, happens. You sneaky bastard. Over and over, yeah. <laughs> sneaky bastard. I thought that was off. Oh. Well, let no, me show we, you. We, we had a group. We had a oh. group in, uh, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, my friend, at the, my best friend at the time, William Kiesel, and I... We're looking for a place to live now. And so we got a house in Ballard. And uh, we made that into a temple. Mm. Uh, we called it the Wizard's Lair. Nice. Is it, uh, Wizard, uh, Will, William was known as being the town wizard. And I sort of like followed along in his shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had we both wore, wore fedoras, and when we went around town, it was the two wizards. Well, I was well, I was wearing a fedora in 2006. This was about 2006. Yeah. Oh, sweet! And awesome. uh, 
No, I was alone. I was the fedora guy. I was I was a weirdo. I didn't know I was in your order asteroid. <laughs> but uh, we had some friends. Uh, Naha was one of them. Mm. And uh, another friend was a, was named Tippett. A lot of them were in the restaurant business, bartenders or nightclub performers even. Uh, Naha was a DJ mm. in Seattle. Pretty famous. Nice. Um, the, I think it was Tippett's idea that we should have a salon where we would get together once a week and talk about things that interested us. A salon, like a hair salon? Like a salon like they had in Paris in, in fin de siècle times, you know, around the Different change. usage of salon? Uh... Where Gertrude Stein a had a salon. Gertrude Stein had a salon. Okay. Where our artists would come and she would just entertain them. You know, they'd have tea and huh. and chat and. Well, I'd like to have a salon. Of, that kind of salon. Nice. Yeah. And um, so we started that, and on the very first night, it was in my apartment. It was on on Broadway on Capitol Hill. Uh, the very first night, one of the people that was invited to come couldn't come because one of our mutual friends had overdosed the night before in Portland. Mm. And the whole night was just full of crazy drama like that that sort of set the stage for what was to come. Mm. You know, there was just something really powerful going on and William really didn't know these people at all. They were Mm. people that I knew that I had invited and we ended up trying to comfort this this one guy because this was his like roommate and his best friend mm. uh, but we ended up with seven people uh, William myself and then five people um, so we we had a nice number to work with it wasn't the 13 but seven's a good number and uh, William and I proceeded to teach classes to the to the five neophytes um and it wasn't really a formal thing it's just we were sharing our knowledge because both of us have very eclectic backgrounds magically some of our backgrounds overlap Mm. but uh you know i've got a little bit of Golden Dawn, and I've got a little OT over here, and, and a little shamanism over here, and Native American spirituality, and a lot of eclectic things, but since I was a philosophy major, all of these things interested me. Yeah. And I didn't want to put all my, put all my money in one pot. You're a mercurial. So yeah. So, uh, we taught these classes, Naha was one of them, and, uh, we did some really powerful work too, and and we all liked each other. We all loved each other. That's what really what I was getting at. I can't can't imagine being in a magical working group that you, with people that you don't yeah, like. Yeah. In fact, that you hate. Well, there's it's cliques. You end up with uh, with uh, a get together that only certain people know about. You know, at a certain place, a certain house, and it's kind of inappropriate. You know, because 
you're in 5-6, you shouldn't be hanging out with people outside the portal and they're all smoking pot. And so when rumor gets back and someone hears about it, then you get a talking to. And I just fucking disagree with the fucking concept of saying that I shouldn't party with the outer order, you know? So I just kept doing it and ignoring when they would tell me um, to stop. And so, you know, whatever. You know, I think it was... I think that you across the board, unilaterally, maybe there's half a person that would that would agree that uh, that it was bad for me to be hanging out with the outer order in a social context like that and everyone would unanimously agree that it was a very positive thing and it's even kind of cathartic for some people now that i'm coming out and being so open about what i'm doing and not only that but taking the curtains down and symbolically opening the windows literally and symbolically opening the windows while i'm doing my rituals so that the neighborhood can see and hear what i'm doing um I think it's cathartic for people that knew me behind closed doors in a dark and creepy place that they felt just as ashamed as I did for being connected to. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a healing process. I'm sharing the healing that I've gone through already with people who maybe probably went through it in a different way because they didn't get as deep into it as I did, for one thing. And they already healed by having time go by. They left years ago, you know, and, uh, and, you know, then they got interested in other things. But now, out of the blue, they can have this part that's buried deep down get healed. And, uh, and, and everybody, you know, even the people that, like, maybe resist the idea of all these walls coming down are going to listen to it because they want to hear what everybody else is listening to. They want to hear what their students are listening to so that they can be prepared to answer questions about it later, which is great. It's, 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 um, it's a great position to be in. Um, as far as someone who wants to, to heal and to use whatever I can, whether it be technology or sticks, you know, if it's something my hand can, can, can do, my mouth can do, that'll help people, then, then that's good because, and it's selfish. It's entirely selfish because I like to feel good about myself when I'm going to sleep at night and when I wake up in the morning. And, uh, and I have things to feel guilty about because I have a temper. And, uh, and, and it's nice when I can do more good in a day than, uh, than I do harm. And that's why I'm vegan, too, is because I'd eat a hamburger and I'd yell at somebody and I'd feel like a piece of shit who didn't deserve to breathe the air, you know? And uh, now I, I eat broccoli and uh, make a podcast and help people discover their inner priestess. And uh, I feel pretty good about myself. And so it's entirely selfish and egotistical in, in, in its motivation. <laughs> But I, I want to show you my temple. I set it up just for you. Um, but if you don't mind, uh, uh, if you could please remove your okay. shoes. Please remove your shoes. White, white, white is the color of our carpet. <clears throat> Producers, Melbourne. Anyway. Um, this is your father right here. Oh, let me introduce you to my ancestors real quick. Um, okay, so first, see this train? Yes. Zuidam in Dutch, Sedam in America. Skip a bit, Brother Maynard. The the geometric structure of this skirt that he has on, though, we're talking about the the fo the the rendering of Hermes Trismegistus and in Manly P. Hall's, Hall's Secret Teachings of Secret All Ages. Teachings of the Ages. Yeah, yeah. The uh, okay, the girdle, the symbolism of the girdle is is Venus. This is Venus being worn by. Uh, by the philosophic Mercury. The colors appear to be, let me turn up the lights a bit. 
the colors appear to be green, red, and white. Uh, this is his emerald tablet. Oh, and there's a there's a lion and a snake. That's the reveal. The lion and the snake are found together on the strength card. Uh, the path of 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 Tet. And uh, so, but the path of Tet is ordinarily found up here between the shoulders. But in his case, it's between the knees. So that's really interesting. I don't know why that is, but he's got a symbol of the supernals where his Tiferet center should be. So, okay, so the whole thing is moved down. So his head, where our head ends in Da'at, and then the supernals are above us, He's got the supernals in his solar plexus, and his head goes above, just like the serpent Nehushtan that reaches beyond Keter. And he's got his feet on the dragon, and it seems you said like that. The head is in infernal dragon. Well, in normally, like here, this is um, this is a tree of life that I made. Well, it's the Kircher tree, but it's my rendering of it. I expect people to know Hebrew, so I uh, don't pussyfoot around with any of uh, any of this romaji. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so the the left, according to Knowledge Lecture 5, Microcosmic Man, Microcosmic Man, Magical Mirror of the Universe, the uh, left arm and hand is Chesed, the right arm and hand is Gibura, and then, well, yeah, that's true, because in that, actually, in that same document, it says the left and right brain correspond to Hawkman and Binah. Uh, but I would tend to think of them as being here, like up and to the right would be Binah, up and to the left would be Hawkman, and then up above is Keter. So our head ends up, yeah, in Da'at. And uh, then all of this is going on down here. Hmm. So that's, that's one perspective. From another perspective, we're all down here in Malkut, and this is the astral plane up here, and uh, then, then, you know, we float. Uh, when, we, when we die, maybe we go up to here to the Bardo and, uh, and cycle back around. But I, I, that's another perspective. Another perspective, my favorite perspective, is that you and I are here. And actually, we're beyond that. Beyond Keter is those three veils of negative existence, and they're Ein, Ein Sof, and Ein Saf Or. Ein is there is no. Ein Lohem, uh, there is no bread. Uh, Bait Lohem, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Um, Ein, there is no. Ein Sof, you know about these. Uh, limitless light. Ein, uh, you know, they're, 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 Ein Sof, Ein Sof Or. Uh, limitlessness, limitless light. So there we are. And we're looking at our reflection in a puddle. And we've been looking at it for so long that we forgot that that's what we're doing. And we think that we're all the little lights dancing around. And some of the lights appear for a little while and they disappear for a little while. And so we get to feel all kinds of weird emotions about, about things appearing and disappearing. Um, so that's like when we wake up in the morning, we put this on like a glove. And then we have these hands here in Malkut and we can do stuff, you know? And that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I like to describe it that way. That's the L.A. Sanctuary teaching of uh, the Tree of Life. See, lately... <laughs> Let my, me light the charcoal so that we can have some good incense in a minute. Lately, my thing has been trying to uh, resolve or combine the Eastern notion of chakras with the Western tree. Okay. Um, and, and that's why I felt that interview with Polk resonated with me so much. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he described his system. I can describe, you know, the system that I'm aware of. 
Uh, yeah, come on in if you'd like. So that's great. I, I mean, yeah, I like I like what he described very much. Um, uh, I looked at at his at his uh, video on YouTube where he talks about that, and oh. and he has a uh, a diagram. Uh, and what is it on the left hand side? The the lights coming down, and then on the right hand side it goes back up again. Straightened out the the Sephiroth into that are on the flaming sword into a straight line, and he sort of tries to reconcile it. Yeah. Well, in a that, way. I the method that I was raised with is neither here nor there. It, it it's Tibetan in origin by way of Italian theosophy. I guess. You know Andrew de Bassano. Well, you don't know him, but you know of him. Um, that's who I'm, I'm chasing after that because that's the method I grew up with. And I can show you that method if you'd like. Um, I mean, I don't know how much time we have. I know Janie wants us out at 8.30, but... Um, the other paradigm that I'm familiar with is that the idea that, okay, there's no problem reconciling the thousand-petaled lotus the ohm vibrating above the crown with Keter, the crown, Ehe, I will be the name of God, the source of all. There's those two overlap pretty well, for, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so that part of the middle pillar and that part of any kind of chakra work, perfect, they go together. Now, as far as the third eye, this is my opinion, and it was t uh, the opinion of my proctor very honored fetter, AKHV, who I, I, I need to keep anonymous because he's an Episcopal priest now. Um, but he and his whoever he got it from thought of this as being Yah, the, the, the Chokma right here in the third eye. And the, and the divine name we use in, in the middle pillar for Da'at is actually the divine name of Binah. So we have Binah here, but we skip Chokmah in, altogether in uh, the middle pillar ritual. The philosophy being that we're vibrating the names in the middle pillar, not the side pillars, except in the case of the darkest of the black pillar. What? So I like to add in Yah. So we're vibrating Ehe, and then Yah, the, the gray one, and then then for the throat, yod heh vav elohim Now, as far as a connection between East and West there. The throat chakra, I forget the name in Sanskrit, but it has to do with creativity and expression. When light comes into being, first it's Keter, which is neither female nor male, and it's um, not, not moving, it's not doing, it just is, it's being. It's, it's the future unfolding before us in all levels. And so when it unfolds, it it's like the fool, it's like the, the man going off the cliff into, you know, what's next? Well, everything, you know, it's just chokmah. It's uh, heaven of Isaiah. The physical manifestation of chokmah is all the stars and galaxies of the universe. So whatever that's the physical manifestation of, chokmah is. And so the Big Bang, boom, you know. And then what? Well, binah, the womb, 
the space, the space in between that gets created too. Maybe the dark matter, but no, I won't go there. Uh, let's just say the, the, the empty space. Um, it, 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 starts to, it starts to form, it starts to create the, uh, for the form of the triangle. The only things that last are take the form of the triangle. Like it, it, on the, and it's in the Chaldean oracles, in the practicus grade of the Golden Dawn. Everything has the, the trinity in it, the triangle in it. And then, of course, scientifically, we, we can look at that on the atomic level, at least, um, if not on other levels. You know, when it gets into quantum, then it, it, when it gets, goes non-Newtonian, chaos magic, then it's a little bit more appropriate. But since we're working with the practical Newtonian universe, I, you know, uh, well, anyway. Um, what was I talking about? So, okay, so, so Keter... So, what comes out of your mouth? Well, I mean, the communication, the, the sense of expression. It's the things that come from inspiration that fit the triangle. That's the expression. That's what can be expressed. We can't express part of the triangle, you know. So, so that's what I'd say. And then, and then uh, for for the for Anahata and Manipura, that's where it gets a little a little different and a little complicated, and maybe even a little interesting as far as looking at those at the group psychology of East and West. Um, if you consider that in 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 the middle pillar ritual, this is Tiferet here in the solar plexus, but in the East, this is love. This is universal love and healing energy, and this is kind of the ego. This is kind of the sense of of opinion and individual identity. But in Golden Dawn practice, we link those together as one, Tiferet, we call it. So your sense of individual identity, it's even called imagination. So that's interesting. And so the East, I mean, I think it's good to be able to practice both and to think of, okay, this is just love. And this is my ego here. So my ego is below the love, you know. But in, in Golden Dawn, it's just, this is my center of my being, and I must surrender it, all of it, to the light above. And then what a lot of people ends up happening is they, they kind of get it wrong or upside down. And then the, the opposite of, of Tiferet, the opposite energy, is the disputers. And so, to Tagiruran, and... Um, See how big of a nerd I am. I can't say Tagiruran without vibrating. Or Lilith without saying Adonai Haaretz. Or Thamayo without saying Hey, hey, hey. You know, or Avalokitvin. Um, I'm, I'm just showing off now. Um, shit. Okay, so that's interesting. But I'd say that I'd say that Yodhevav Heeloavidaad and Tiferet energy works for Anahata and it works for Manipura. Um, that's how I approach it. But I also approach them as separate, distinct entities. But the, instead of instead of like Vom or any of that, I use O and Ah. And the way my dad taught me was when you digest something or when you are grappling with an idea, you're trying to figure something out and then it clicks and you go, Oh! You formulate your opinion and that's you. That's your individual identity. That's that's what you have as your your will here in Manipura. And when you digest some food, and the, and your stomach's like, what? What is this? I don't know. Oh, those enzymes. Here we go. Okay, now it's working. And that's the same thing on a different level. And that's very interesting because then you realize you start to connect with how many different 
organisms are involved in the digestion process and how many different humans are involved in the mental digestion process through communication and all that stuff. And so, yeah, you can really groove on some of that stuff. And I think East and West, not, yeah, I mean, they, there's not a one-to-one -one correspondence, but sometimes you can find, you can find a lot of overlap, I guess. There's, there's different opinions. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Jyoti's teaching a class on the chakras at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was looking at one of her textbooks, and uh, or one of her reference books, and there's a page on the tree of life in there, and, it, and this person's opinion was that there is a correspondence, and that the the ones that correspond where there are there are two sephira, those are the yin and the yang of that chakra. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and and when I when I was thinking about that, that made sense to me. Uh, yeah. When Jyoti and I did a did a ritual where we did the middle pillar, and I did the middle the middle pillar as I was taught, uh, basically the golden dawn version, mm -hmm. and then she took over when we got down to the feet, and then she brought the energy back up. Nice. With the chakras, uh, she would vocalize the the um, mantra for each of the chakras. Yeah. I forget what they are exactly. Yom and Yom is the heart. Lum. Speaking lum, of yum. the serpent Nehushtan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know so, about Nehushtan? No, I don't think so. I'll go get it. I'll uh, just wait here. I'll be right there. Well, you're right. You're right. They're often secret, but this, but the chiefs of the third order, those are the elusive ones. That are they human? Are they angels? What are they? Oh, we're not allowed to talk about that if you get a culty one. Anyway, well, Nehushtan is this serpent. So he originates. Actually, uh, the tail should be down here, okay. and he touches every path and none of the sephirot, right. and uh, his head actually, in a proper representation, would go up above Keter. How does he get that name? Ah, uh, the Bible. It was the name of the brass serpent that was raised in the wilderness by Moses. It's the serpent of wisdom. Ah. And it's presented in the grade of Theoricus in the Golden Dawn um, ceremony. Oh, and I'm not allowed to reveal that, except by permission of the chiefs of the second order. Edward, can I have permission? Yes, Edward, you can have permission. Okay. Hey, Edward, can I open my windows and show the whole neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, you can, Edward. Okay, cool. So it's legit. So I'm actually not like Crowley. And now you know I'm, I'm not just a following my own rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm but I'm that was the test. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. I, I, Rob, he's, he, he was saying that, that my page made him feel inadequate, and he had read some, some book where they said, don't do it half-assed. And I was like, oh, I don't mean to make people feel that way. I only want to inspire people. I don't want to make people feel... Like underachievers, I, 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 I want. I, I'm sharing this with you because I, it's an, it's a precious experience that I had once when I was young, and then I stood here as the hierophant and explained this fucking thing over and over and over and over to every initiate that went through the went through the grades for many many years. I mean, I wasn't always the hierophant, but I was a lot. And anyway, so so the sword is the flashing sword, wham, 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 and then the serpent. Well, I regard the golden dawn. Is that in there? Yeah, it should be in the, uh, in the name the, of a snake. That, you know, there's a few things in there that I, I, I uh, was looking for. I, I, knew, I knew about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know about in the uh, in the, the Theorcus initiation, when the you got to read those initiations because a lot of important data is is given in the initiations that isn't gone into in necessarily any other lectures or in diagrams. Um, but the the words of the hierophant, the words of the officers when they're speaking to the candidate, it's like you got to sit there with a note 
kind of right because because we would hear it over and over and over and over and over so you'd start to pick up on little things and then you'd be like well that turn of phrase was that the right turn of phrase was it this or is it that well in this they say this and in this temple they say that so you start to really get to know the scripts and and, and stuff like that um but yeah it's Nehushtan. huh cool I had a friend. That uh, is a little piece of trivia that Naha would love. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that reminded me of you and and uh, and Jyoti, like you were doing the Sephirot, and then she brought everyone up the paths. And the further deeper symbolism is that the uh, lamen that is worn on the breast of the um, the one who has been osirified, uh, the symbolism is you become one with Christ, and so you write Jesus Christ, God and man. <laughs> Notice I mine's blank. Um, but and your secret name, uh, so this is worn on a white robe. I have a Catholic robe over there. So the center of it, you have from the Sefer Yetzirah. It describes the mother letters, the single letters, and the double letters. The mother letters are all F Mem and Shin. The, sing, the single letters are, are the planetary ones, and the well, the, no, the double letters are the planetary ones, and the single letters are the zodiacal ones. And, the, and there's a total of 22 and it lines up with the major arcana. And so here you have the paths, and there's 22, and they line up with the major arcana. So the serpent, by touching all of the paths and none of the sephirot, he is a perfect expression of the microcosmos. So zero equals zero. You know, it's the same symbol. So this rose... This rose that symbolizes that perfect equilibrium of all the forces of, of a human being is the same as this snake. Huh. So, but you've got to have both. The, this, this sword, that's thrown down by the hand of God by way of the angels. And, uh, and the serpent is what makes it back up. And so the sword keeps you from, it guards, the, guards Eden from the fallen Adam. But the serpent is the, is the, the, the wily the rascally one. You know, people think, serpent, oh, that's evil. But what about the other serpents? There's more than one serpent in the Bible. Hello. You know, I mean, Moses had a, a staff turn into a serpent. You know, I mean, was that an evil serpent? Was that the evil serpent? Was that the one and only evil serpent? I mean, I think there's a, a little bit of a one-to-one -one correspondence between the Kundalini serpent and this serpent. And um, Moses was initiated into uh, the Egyptian mysteries. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm sure. Temple of Isis. I don't know who they were worshipping at the time. I'd have to... That'd be an interesting... I, I, I have some friends who uh, who went to, like, school, <laughs> you know, and went to, you know, learned all that stuff. But I I, um, I don't know what the... Was it Isis? I mean, was it... I don't know what they were... I think that's what they called it, yeah. Because sometimes they were worshipping Set. Later became Serapis. Okay. Or there was overlap between Serapis and Isis. And then when Alexander came in and just put his face on the on the Osiris symbol, then uh, then there was all that wonderful uh, syncretization. That that basically the Isis that when I when in the Golden Dawn paradigm when we talk about Isis, that's post Alexandrian. Or really, it's Alexandrian Isis. It's like it's not post at all. It's straight up Alexandrian, like, as far as I can tell, where they they were bringing together. Um, I mean, and that, and that seems to be what Mary, in large part, was based off of. Like this, and it was this momentum that had got going when Alexander re, reinvigorated the e Egyptian 
love of religion and worshiping human beings that are standing right in front of them. And, um, and then hence Cleopatra, several generations later, still riding that wave, the last you know, to ride that wave, really, for the nation of Egypt. Um, and now we're, we're riding the wave today, you know, having someone invoking ISIS and being, not being worshipped, but, you know, it's, it's, it's more refined now. It's more, they, they, the idea of democratizing it and having every six months you take turns being the person who everybody says, holy art thou, Lord of the universe, you know. But still, it, it, you know, it, it does a number on, I mean, it can do a number on the ego. But if you just do it just right, because what you're supposed to do is when, all of those people, you have a room full of people, and you hear, you know when you hear the whole church going, we believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of Heaven, and it just sounds like the Borg, you know, like, we are the Borg, resistance is futile. When you have that same voice saying, holy art thou, Lord of the universe, and they're all pointing to this point right here, um, yeah, you got to do something with that. You know, you get, you can't just be like, yeah, that's right. You know, like, because <laughs> you got to sublimate it. and a whole and, room doing kirtan when everybody's, like, totally into it. Yeah. Have you, have you ever done kirtan? No. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, yeah. You just get chills. Yeah. And, and, and in my experience, when you get these just rolling chills, that means that's the presence of spirit. Mm. And then, like, <laughs> Saul, who becomes Paul, mm. he then somehow is exposed to DMG, the Egyptian yeah. mysteries, and so he appropriates the the, the Osiris story, mm. and that becomes the Jesus reincarnation story. Oh, yeah, he was a scholar. And they were right next to Egypt. And Alexandria was still there, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Albeit with a burned-out church. So when you look at... Okay, right, so that came, I mean, library. That came later. Yeah. But looking at 1993, when the internet was brand new, you could still dupe a room full of people into, you know, not look, researching something, you know? You could say, oh, we're the one true golden dawn, and people would be like, okay, cool. And then, but by 95, 96, people would be like, actually, I looked online, and there's four different one true golden dawns, you know? And so that was a, a, a heck of a difference. And so looking back then, as, as a cynic, you know, uh, Paul had access to literacy. He had access to knowledge. He was traveling. He was well like He was in a position where he was appointed to oversee the execution of the man who would kept insisting on on talking about Jesus on the steps of the temple. Uh, what was his name um, Stephen Stephanos, Saint Stephanos, um, and he, he killed him. Rocks to the head. And then that was you know when he started like thinking. What am I doing? You know, like, I gotta maybe do something different than this. And then, um, right shortly after that, he saw the light and all that, that, that DMT episode he had, where he fell off his horse and, and couldn't see for a while. And then, then he was on board with the, the Jesus program, you know, changed his name and all that. It was Roman name. It was Ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Luke, and, uh, you know, the Romans. and They didn't have DMT. They didn't oh, have right. glass pipes. Oh, no, we make it. And we make it in our, in our head. That's, yes. So when the, I mean, the theory is that those, we have the, when people describe these intense religious experiences, especially when you're working with energy and you say, at a certain point, you know, the horns go off and you go, go over that edge. And uh, it helps if you drink an MAO inhibitor first. <laughs> but anyway, is it Ma Mayo or MOA? MOA inhibitor, that's what it is. I always screw that up. 
like uh, passion flower leaves. I used to drink those and then and then do kundalini work or do like raising the chakra energy. And, yeah, I and guess you can get the ayahuasca bark, but that's not going to do you any good because <laughs> you don't have the inhibitors. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, you could smoke it, but but yeah, no, I was just doing the uh, inhibitors and then producing my own DMT. So it'd be like putting the, the piano pedal down on those bursts of experience. Because I like if you go, oh, there it is. Oh, it went away. You know, like it's, it's like when you're astral projecting uh, and then you go, oh my God, I'm astral projecting. And then you wake up. Um, it's the neocortex coming in and like like a bull in a china shop just coming in and fucking up a natural experience. Just like humans, you know, <laughs> coming in and going, you know what would be nice here? A city like we have back in Kansas. And it's like, but there's hills. It's San Francisco. Like, oh, fuck it. Just do it like we did in Kansas, you know. Um, what was I talking about? Yeah. So, so, yeah, if you can like put the pedal down. And then you get that experience, it goes, and it's like, instead of just, oh, there it went. It's like, and so there's a nice, and then so you can kind of get to the next breath, and to the next burst of DMT, and then you can start to get a cumulative effect. I found that uh, after I smoked it, a lot of it, um, I was able to key into it really easily. Um, I haven't been actively connecting with that idea, but I was pretty actively connecting with it for a while and walking around insisting I could smell it on all the plants and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, mm. I still smell it now and then, but now I just take it for granted rather than being excited about it. Like, oh, that's DMT. I know what that is. Yeah. But anyway. So. Anyway. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it's great stuff. Because it's illegal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, and we're recording. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, I'll put a little more on here. Do you want to tour the temple or? Uh, okay. Sure. So, so this, this is, is one of the this is the, mo the most elaborate temple I've seen. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, Golden Dawn Plus. Um, I, I could point out the elements that are specifically Golden Dawn if it's not obvious. Um, okay, so. I'll start here. Should I start at the central altar or start in the east? I'll start in the east. So let's go to the east. Um, that is looking out east that way. Yeah. Must be. So here <laughs> in the east we have, this is the watchtower of the east. Right. Um, John D. Edward Kelly, Matt Mathers. Um, this is not normally here. This is um, Janie and my air daggers. So in our, the order we came from, these were made in the in the grade of Theoricus. In the original Golden Dawn, you didn't make them until you were in the inner order. Um, and it goes together with these. In fact, you need this to consecrate this, and you need this to consecrate this. And you need a consecrated one to do a consecrated one. You need a consecrated one to do a consecrated one. So that begs the question, well, how do you get the consecration? If you need a consecrated one to consecrate a consecrated one, you need a consecrated one to consecrate a consecrated one. And the answer is, well, you consecrate that, then you consecrate that, then you consecrate that, and you consecrate that, and you consecrate that, and you consecrate that, and eventually, yeah, it's, it's, it's consecrated. So it's like a motor, you know, you gotta, so it's like you gotta keep doing the work. So I, 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 I gotta get back into it if I'm gonna have a consecrated dagger. But anyway, this one's never been consecrated. Um, over here, oh, well, this is, oh, yeah, Vamalamidra. He, in 800, Padmasambhava wanted to bring Buddhism to Tibet. And so he sent word to India to these particular monks that uh, were adept at Vajrayana Buddhism and very, very, very literate and geniuses with language. And among them was Vimalamidra. 
And so he came across the border, risked his life and life and limb, because India was jealously guarding their, uh, their, their teachers and their gurus and their scholars and their Buddhism. According to the story, I don't buy the whole story. But anyway, um, so he came to Tibet and stayed there for a number of years and translated all the Vajra, well, his portion that he was given to translate into Tibetan as he was learning Tibetan, or maybe he already knew it, I don't know. He translated it from India to Tibetan. And then he um, continued on to China, and then he learned Chinese and he translated it into Chinese. And then Kukai, a guy from Japan, was like, I want to learn some real cool Buddhism. And he's looking around in China. And then meanwhile, this guy, they were like contemporaries. So he's from India, and he's in this place in China. And then Kukai comes in, and and um, so there was this brief point where there was there was a lot of esoteric Buddhism or Vajrayana Buddhism in China. And um, and so at that, that was the time when Kukai came in. And when he left, he went and built Mount Khoyasan in Japan, which is just this mountaintop utopia of esoteric Buddhism. And uh, then right afterward, the emperor came in and banned esoteric Buddhism in China. And so as a result, we have Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> and then we have this odd phenomenon where one of the kinds of Buddhism in Japan is, looks just like Tibetan Buddhism, except instead of going, you know, they, they bang on drums and they, they you know, you know, it's like this same thing, same words, different language, hmm. um, and same practices, same mandalas, you know, nuances. I mean, I, I, I'd like to get to learn more about both. But anyway, so Vimala Midra, he died in China. He translated much of the Vajrayana Sutras into both Tibetan and Chinese, and helped it uh, make all the way, make it all the way into Japan. And then he died, and then about a hundred years after he died, they made this statue. In a thousand, a thousand years ago, they made this statue. Um, and uh, then, uh, in 1919, my father's father drove the very first fucking oil rig up the Yangtze River, got kidnapped and held for ransom, and then they suppressed the bandits, and he got all the right papers and made friends with all the right people in the jungle to let him go up the fucking Yangtze River so that America could sell oil in China. And somewhere along the line, the story I heard was that he went into a monastery and he was like, wow, this is all so beautiful. And they were like, wow, we've never seen white people. And he's like, have you seen this? And he showed him a watch. This is kind of my version of the story because I made him sound like kind of a dick, you know. And they're like, wow, what is it? And he's like, it keeps time. It goes round and round. And they're like, whoa. And so what, what do you want for it? Oh, he's like, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And then he sent most of it to his sister, Mary. And uh, so I have some cousins and... New Zealand, who remember growing up seeing all this stuff from China, just all these priceless antiquities in their grandma's house. Um, and she was Mary Lane, who ran an ice cream uh, factory in Texas in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, or something like that. And there's and, some woman um, out there in, in China who has this watch. And yeah, I, it's not working anymore. The white guy, the yeah. white devil, yeah. who came and. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, that might have not have been exactly what happened, because my dad didn't know. He was six years old when his dad died. So he got kind of like, I, I, I tried to go to my aunt for real stories, because she was 14 when, when, when their dad died. 
And so she grew up in China, and she got to actually see stuff with her eyes. And so, like, I listen to her when it comes to stories about my grandpa. And I take a grain of salt with, but I'm telling you the story, and I guess I'm telling the podcast the story. But anyway, so uh, so my grandpa, this was up on his mantle for 30 years while he lived in China, in and around Shanghai, and then Western China. And then in 1940, uh, he got on a boat. The Ah, something famous, President Cleveland, it's at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean now. And my dad was a baby, and uh, this was among the things they brought back with them. And uh, then when my dad passed away in 1993, my stepmom decided to put my dad's ashes in it. So, mm. meet my dad. <laughs> Inside a thousand-year-old Buddha, the likes of which can only be found at the Met in New York. Mm. There's a set and uh, one's missing, and it's right here. And uh, we made a friend. Oh, this is the banner of the East, the symbol of the perfected work. Uh, you have the tree of life. You have the, the air and water harmoniously together with uh, Tiferet. Now, here in Malkut, uh, we can't see Keter, right? We can only see the next level up, which is the path of Toph. So there's a T here. And it's white because the light of Keter comes through the path of Tav into Malkut. And so we say, Holy art thou, Lord of the universe! Holy art thou, which nature hath not formed! Holy art thou, the vast and the mighty one, ruler of the light and the darkness! Or if you're Paul Foster Case, Holy art thou... Well, never mind. <laughs> so, okay, that's the banner of the East. Like, there's more symbolism I could go into, but I won't. This is a, a lotus wand. Um, so you have spirit, Secret name, 12 signs of the zodiac, Malkut, you have the Lotus of Isis, you have the little orange dot where the spirit of philosophic Mercury enters into the top of it, mm -hmm. and you use it for everything. Uh, this, this actually, like, if you, you don't actually need any of these if you have this, um, but these are fun anyway to have. So, okay, let's move over to this stuff. Here we have... Yishi uh, Tsyogo. You remember I mentioned Padma Sambhava hired that guy to, uh, well, this was his girlfriend in the end. Um, she she was like uh, mustaches with <laughs> mustache wax on curled up at the ends, right? It's, oh, uh, Padma Sambhava? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's known for having the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the eye, the third eye and the big, you know, he's like frowning and grinning at the same time and, and doing this with a dorja in his hand. Um, but this was his girlfriend at the end, his, his concert. He taught her everything. She, actually, her history of him is the history we have. She grew up and became kind of a queen of Tibetan Buddhism figure, and so she was instrumental in uh, the establishing of Tibetan Buddhism. But, yeah, he was the creepy old man, and she was the 15-year-old, but I don't, you know. They... Okay, so that's uh, that's Yishi Tsofa. I, I really like her. She was in my yoga room for a long time. Yishi Tsofa? It's a, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Yishi? Y-E-S-H-E, and then last name T-S-Y-O-G-A-L, something like that. Hmm. So, uh, so I'd have to I'd have to talk to a Tibetan to know how that's pronounced. But um, okay, so you're so, mixing Tibetan Buddhism and, and Japanese Buddhism and, and and Chinese esoteric extinct uh, Buddhism. Um, uh, so here we have uh, the. Uh, the temple seals, all the temple seals here for one of the lineages, all the temple seals of Pure Land Buddhism over there, um, and then we have the temple seals of the temples that I went to with Janie, 
and then including the temple seal of Kanzo and Temple, zenyoga.org, um, right down the street on Terrace 49. And, and your friends down at um, House of Intuition ought to visit this guy because he is a old Japanese guy who's a 62nd patriarch of, of Soto Zen, teaching yoga and Zen and, and vegan cooking. Um, half a mile that way. Just, uh, who knew? He's been there since 1980. And I asked him if he does Goshwins. And so he put his Goshwin in my book right across from Kamakura, which was where this Buddha, the giant Buddha that this is based on, it's a beach city south of Tokyo. Do you have an upcoming interview with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for to be a yogi, he's going to be number three. This is from his temple. This is what we do after we do yoga. We sit in lotus position and go through this. And, uh, yeah, love that guy. So, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, in here, I'm basically mixing Japanese, all forms of Japanese Buddhism, but kind of specifically esoteric forms. But I've also got, you might not expect... Grant them thy holy churches in peace, safety, honor, health, and length of days to rightly define the word of thy truth and all mankind. Remember, O Lord, all orthodox, episcopate, who rightly define the word of thy truth. Remember, O Lord, my unworthiness also by the multitude of thy compassions. Forgive me my every transgression. So there were those years, and I keep that here. Um, so I have my Western religion on the east side of my southern altar, and I have my Eastern religion on the south side of my southern altar, just to keep things funny and balanced and yin-yang-y. And I have it all on the southern altar because in the vault of the Adepti, the symbol of fire is the crucifix, um, which at its root is a symbol of knowledge, because the knowledge to make fire, the knowledge of two sticks, the knowledge of... Uh, uh, and then you know, later knowledge and all the knowledge in here, you know, like there's, there's knowledge buried in this, you know, symbol. So, so I have um, my, you know, the passion of the Christ, the uh, sort of that religious aspect here, and then also here, and I, I bring that same, that same passion and devotion to um, Zen Buddhism and the various forms of Japanese Buddhism that I've been practicing that I, I give to the Orthodox Church. And, um, whether they like it or not. It's, that house is round. My great-great-grandmother, who taught fundamentalist Christian missionaries who were going to go make fundies in Korea, insisted that the house be round. And she taught downstairs in the room below here. So anyway, uh, this is much simpler. This is the West. Here, I just for today, I put the Kamakura Buddha. And um, this is Shakyamuni Buddha. Actually, he's the only representation in the temple right now of the actual Buddha Buddha. Um, you know, the one played by Keanu Reeves. Because um, this one, I always thought that was Buddha, but then I found out later from this guy in... in, in um, what's that? This Buddha is littler yeah. than Keanu. It's what? It's littler. It's a little Buddha oh. more little than Keanu. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyhow. That was a joke. <laughs> so this I made in ceramics class. The symbolism is this is the fires... Of the, the infernal fires of creation. This is the waters above the firmament, and this is the firmament. So you can see implied in this symbol the 
Aquarian symbol, the waters of the astral plane, which include the material universe, and the waters of creation that isn't polluted. <laughs> and then you have, you know, ideally us, kind of when we elevate to here, when we elevate to Tiferet, then we can actually stand in between the divine world above and the polluted, you know, if you get it. You can, I'm being, being silly and saying it's polluted, but it kind of is. It's like if you think of the waters of creation, the pure crystalline waters of creation, and then you go into the one where it sort of smells like stale beer and sweat and there's a lot of neon beer signs and stuff like that, it's polluted. You know, I mean, there's no other word for it. But also, it's, it, it has character, it's culture, I don't know, all the compliments. Is it PC? Do I have to be PC about, about the manifest universe? No. Anyway, so, okay, moving along. This is, um, yes, Horus guards the temple. And uh, carries a sword, banner of the west. And uh, when you're path working in Golden Dawn, you know, if you come up against something, it's to empower the candidate to, you know, they're like, oh, but the demons, you know, I'm afraid to imagine things. That's why I watch TV all the time. You know, and, and so it's like, no, just stand as the hybris. And if anything gives you any shit, you know, just, Wow, and say, you know, and so yeah, that's fun. In the grade of philosophers, you get to be Hyrus and guard the temple and say things like, "I am fortitude, and I am the master of darkness," and uh, carry a red sword. And uh, I uh, did you make that? Or? No, I didn't make the sword, but I painted it. Um, I lately have been working with these guardians of the temple. One of the Japanese systems, Tendai, in um, the Sanju Sangendo temple, there were 28 guardians that are derived from Hindu gods, all guarding the Buddha. And I was like, yes! So I've been bringing that into a Golden Dawn paradigm with a particular ritual called S4. This is a little cluttered, I admit. Um, now, though, you might wonder about the cup of water. Now, there's an incense over there. That is a companion with this. So before we do anything, when we do ceremony, we, uh, in the old days, you'd go to all four corners and say, I purify thee with water. But in uh, September of 1996, a new practice was adopted in the temple, which gave birth to all those other temples. And so all those other temples all practiced this practice. Incidentally, my mom was the Stilistes Oromoot installed at that equinox when they also introduced the new water purification. So she's the first person ever in history to ever go. In a Golden Dawn temple, I should specify. There's probably, uh, in churches, they've intoned that before, but not while doing a left, right, center, up, down, left, right, you know, projection in a in a Oromoot god form. That my mom was the first. And then uh, anyway, so that's what that's about. That goes in the north because it's really an earth symbol, even though it's water. Um, as I mentioned over there, you had all three of the elements. So they combine to make earth. That one's blue over there. This one really ought to be uh, red on the bottom, yellow, and then blue at the top. But I'm not traditional non in this particular temple. Um, this is a bunch of yen. You know, it's earth. It's money. Japanese thing. So their money is, I'm, I, you know, <laughs> their money's better than ours. Um, anyway, so uh, that brings us, oh yeah, yeah, this is a bodhisattva, and I don't know his name, but I know that he's a bodhisattva because he has Buddha in his heart. 
and he's also very colorful and ornate, and I like keeping him over here in the north. The lamans, you're both of your lamans. Oh, this is a zealotor panicle. Okay. Um, so, so this is used, if, for example, in the, uh, you know, earth opening. You could use this to, you know, do stuff. You hold it by the the black on the Malkuth because that's where the hand is literally. So if you held it here, you'd be lying because that's not the actual manifest part. So that's where we hold it from. Um, this is unpainted because it's James, and um, yeah, she's I'm you know, relatively new to the system. Um, you know, where I've been doing it for over, over 20 years at this point. Um, okay, so the central altar. Oh well, these are kakejikus. Oh, this was the sword that um, when Jamie and I were married, I wrote the wedding. And did, have you heard the priestess episode yet? Oh, okay, it's a good one. But at the beginning, you'll hear me do a sort of an invocation of Isis, and I used a lot of those words in our wedding ceremony. And so Isis, you know, uh, used this sword to marry us, and we knelt down, and she handed it to one of the priests, and the priest put it on my neck while I took my vows. And then the priest picked it up, handed it back to Isis, she handed it to the priestess, and the priestess held it on Jamie's neck while she took her, her vows and then gave it back to Isis. And then Isis sheathed it, and there was a guy behind her, behind the scenes, to take the sword away. And uh, so mm. now it's our very special sword that we, uh, we, we only use when it's just the two of us. It's a nice one. Yeah, it's a Solomonic sword. Occasionally you'll see really serious magicians posing with theirs. It's um, oh, not one of a kind. Nice, uh, yeah, Jewish stuff. Star of David on the hill. Yeah, <laughs> and Isis carrying it. They're like, what's going on? It's like, well, if you were Golden Dawn, you'd understand. Anyway, um, so then we have Yaquin and Boaz. Uh, this is Pure Land Buddhism. Um, uh, sorry, you heard that episode. Uh, Waterfall Aquarium, perhaps? I, I haven't heard that one. She gave me this kimono for my temple, you know? Um, she said that the pine tree is... Uh, the symbol of strength and power, and it's always green, and it's tall and powerful, and the hawk is a symbol of steadfastness and strength, and so she wanted me to have this kimono, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> you're so sweet, you know, and um, so now I use it when I do magic, you know, why not, Jesus, it's so cool, and then, but in, a, in this kimono sense, this is the underneath part, and the belt. So if I were to wear it as a classic kimono, then it would look more like that. But I where's wear your samurai sword? <laughs> I don't have one. But I wear it in a you way that actually resembles other swords. It resembles the chief adept when I put it over my my regular white robe. That that kimono. She also gave me this. She gave me this, and her family made this uh, with indigo and bleach. It's the Hanya Shingyo, the Heart of Great Wisdom Sutra. Mm -hmm. And so I told her that in honor of her family, who was gifted my temple with all of this. I will honor Pure Land Buddhism in the temple, and I will perform the mantra that he said to perform. But I will do it on behalf of all beings, that all beings, guilty or not, can enter the Pure Land. So I'm doing it with more of a Padmasambhava, like Om Mani Padme Hom, saving all beings at once, you know, kind of thing. Which, I mean, he his message was so powerful. When they asked the Dalai Lama, he kind of pussyfoots around it. But the reason why this says Om Mani Padme Hum, and that says Om Mani Padme Hum, and, and on all those wheels it says Om Mani Padme Hum, 
or hung in the old Tibetan, is um, because he told them that everybody suffers. You know, gods suffer. They eventually die and behold their own demise and, and everybody forgets them. Demigods suffer, half-gods suffer, they go through all kinds of stuff. Humans, animals, hungry ghosts, those in the hells, everybody suffers. And that the goddess of compassion sees this suffering and has great compassion upon them. And if one person, but once, would say with all their hearts, O Mane Padme Hom, then the gods would all be freed from this enslavement and they would become, you know, one with the infinite light and never have existed. And that for the for the Om and for the Ma, all the demigods are freed and one with the light. And for the Ni, all the humans are never existed. And then the, uh, you know, Ni Hom, the, the, the animals, the hungry ghosts and those in the hells, there are no hells. It's all just light. And uh, all you have to do is say Om Mane Padme Hom and everybody was like, Okay, master, you know, and then they were like, oh, money, money, oh, oh money, money, oh, oh, money, and then now it's like, it's been 1,200 years, and people are like, uh, Dalai Lama, why do we keep saying, oh, money, money, oh, money, he's like, well, you know, I don't know, does it make you feel good, <laughs> you know, it's funny, <laughs> but they don't really get into the, to the nitty-gritty of, uh, he didn't really how it that. all started, no, I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of, uh, you know, but no, he has other things to say. The interesting, deep things that are clearly have clearly been added since Padmasambhava's day um, about how you know it's actually very interesting because he says the Om it contains all things good and bad, and so when we say Om Mani Padme Hum, we're moving toward compassion, we're moving toward wisdom and altruism, and choosing to embody the good in Om. And, uh, but Om itself isn't good or bad. It contains all. It's just the vibration of the universe. And so I thought that was a pretty profound explanation, actually. I shouldn't make fun of that. So the central altar, just for now, just for now, I've got a bell. If I had a child, I could say, this bell was from your father's father. This bell was from your mother's mother. But anyway, for now, I have to say, this bell was given to me by my father, and this bell was a gift from my wife's mother. Um, underneath this bell, I have a rock that came from Nanzenji in Kyoto, which is a Zen, uh, a Zen temple that was commissioned by the emperor when the emperor got way into Zen in uh, the 1260s. Dogen was, was doing his whole missionary thing in the 1240s where he was establishing Zen and everybody was writing down everything he would say and I believe in the 1230s and uh, he was actually in China learning it anyway uh, so then then this is the bell that my dad and I would use for the third eye along with this this was my dad's Dorja and the uh, Karmapa of course is a young guy but his previous incarnation gave my dad his initiation and these strings around his Dorja and this bell still has its middle. <laughs> it's a different one. I use it for the heart now. And this is from the Heian Shrine, which is the largest Shinto shrine in um, Japan, as far as I know. And it's very touristy, but it's culturally important. They, Osaka was the capital by default, because when the Chinese people, by way of the Korean Peninsula, settled the Japanese island, uh, they settled in Osaka. That was just where they were. And so that was the first capital. And then so the first intentional, the first 
I'm going to make a capital uh, was Kyoto. And so it was made to be beautiful. It was made to embody everything the Japanese wished that they were and wanted to become. And in a way, they ended up overshooting the mark. It was like they were, the whole time they were imitating their fantasized ideal of what they thought the Chinese were. You know? <laughs> and so when they would build things, it was very, very loyally based on, on things that came from China. But they would do it with such a... And that whole Shinto thing. Well, anyway, so I have the Shinto aspect here under the, the bell I use for the heart, and I have the, the Zen under the bell I use for the third eye. And I have no rock under this bell, but this is the bell that I use for Manipura. Good old ego gets its own bell. Because that's how I, that's how I treat my ego. I don't, I, don't, I don't kick my ego around like a lot of people do. I, I'm nice to my ego. I mean, it's not the fucking king of the universe, but it's, it's like if I had a cat, and the cat brought me a mouse, I wouldn't be like, bad kitty you know i mean so so i'm just like good good kitty you know because i feel better when i do that you know rather than saying oh i shouldn't be so egotistical i need to be more humble whap, whap. you know it's that post-puritan oh i thought you were supposed to kill the ego <laughs> yeah exactly as my dad oh yeah yeah some eastern has a jump on that but they i think they're using it in a different way ego means self in greek um but anyway uh yeah what was i saying shoot well, my dad had a great quote. Um, the, uh, oh, how, you know, something about, about when we come from slavery into freedom, we tend to kind of reconstruct the chains that we're used to out of nothing but just bad habits, you know, and, and un unacknowledged, unrecognized old habits. And so when people say, I don't have to be, you know, an evangelist or, or, or whatever, like my parents, I can be a Thalamite and I will do what I wilt. But then you find out, you know, you end up like running into a lot of the same stuff that you're imprinted with because you didn't actually address the stuff line by line that you were imprinted with. And that's where the, the work comes in, the alchemy comes in. I mean, in one, that's one cartooned example, you know. And uh, everybody, everybody has their own unique set of of things they need to work through, which is why all, uh, the grades are different for everybody. I always, one thing that I, I, I whenever, and I, I consider it culty, just straight up, and I get annoyed whenever I hear people doing it, is when people say, oh, you're in the grade of Zelator. Oh, yeah, you know, my tires all popped when that happened. Or whatever the fuck they're going to say, you know, like, like, oh, you're in the grade. Oh, well, I lost my mind and, and you know, in that grade. Or, oh, I was an emotional basket case in practicus. You know, that you, what will probably happen to you is this and that. You know, and, and uh, I say, you know, like, no, <laughs> they're different for everybody. And I mean that, like, on the far extreme of the spectrum. They're different for everybody. You know, what was it like for you? Well, that's a different question. You know, like, okay, well, I can tell you about my experience of the grades. But I disagree with people who say the grade will be like this for you. Because, no, just teach the work and shut up. Let them have their alchemy. If they come to you and say, I'm having this alchemy, then see what, see what it is. But don't put alchemy. You know, I mean, it's, give them the teachings. It's great teachings. It's like you just put them through a really, really great, beautiful initiation written 130 years ago by really, really sharp people. And, uh, and then you're going to shit all over it and ruin it on the way out when you say, oh, well, good luck with that neophyte energy. You know, you're probably going to get divorced. You know, like, why the fuck would you do that? You know, and, um, and so, yeah, I don't like it when people do that. And that's one of the things that 
came from the order that I came from. And so a lot of the protogen, the, the children, the offspring of that order, um, will lapse into that old habit. And like, like I said, you know, they came from slavery into freedom, and they didn't necessarily shuffle off all the things they were imprinted with. And you didn't mention the Enopian tablets. No, not really. Um, well, the here's talk the, about that. Well, I mean, it's not that as much as, like, I don't speak Enochian. I don't know the letters, but I use them. I know, I, I have certain things memorized, so, I mean, I could pretend that, you know, that, like, I know that this says, oh, we pay te a paid okay, and, and this says, uh, uh, e del per na a, um, and I know that this says exar pay, and then that the, the, this, this says non ta, you know, but I, I only know that because I, um, because I've practiced it for so long. I've, I've never sat down and learned the Enochian alphabet. And, um, and I had, I've had friends who flipped out, who lost their fucking mind. Well, I had one good friend who lost his mind, and he got way heavily into some weird Enochian. But it might have been correlation and not causation. I don't know. But I know a lot of people are really obsessed with it. I've also like watched enough uh, documentaries about uh, um, John Dee and Edward Kelly to know they didn't, they didn't really get anywhere with it, you know, like, and, and as far as I can tell, you know, no one since really has either, but at the same time, I've had a lot of experience with it, and, um, and I've had teachers and, and, and fellow, and peers who took it really seriously, and so I've taken it seriously enough to have some of my favorite beings, I like, uh, Ani Doinu, the senior of Mercury Fire, he's my favorite, um, but I don't know, I mean, what do you want to know? You know, like I, I, I might have a, a book that explains that I can look up, but I mean, like for example, uh, Dean and Kelly uh, got so far as to swap mates. Yeah, yeah, they didn't get they didn't get very far at all, and in the end, they they both felt like they had wasted a lot of time, and they had, um, and uh, they would have they would have done a lot better, you know, getting in a boat and going and going to India. I mean, he thought he had learned everything that there was to learn from humans. So he like locked himself in his attic and started rolling his eyes back while some criminal was looking into a showstone. And yeah, they, they gave us something really interesting. And then someone came along and took it seriously later, and now I fucking know it for some reason. And I, I, I don't know, it just came with the package. But I, I do the Watchtower, and I, I'm pretty well-schooled in Anokian, but it's just... I honestly, like, I, I put the Watchtowers back up um, today. I, I had them down, but like, because... Of the Golden Dawn interest, you know, I decided to like set up the temple this way. Uh, earlier today, I had no no watchtowers. This was all in the in the east as like a, a shrine, so that I could just do yoga here and then do my chants. Um, because like I, I don't really like I'm I'm more into that right now personally than I am into a lot of this and this. But when, you know, when people come over who are schooled in the Golden Dawn, it's a very beautiful social experience to practice magic together. And I love teaching people who love learning it, you know, because their eyes light up and there's this great, this great exchange of, of, of chemicals and, and everything. And, but honestly, like, when, it's, when I'm alone, I, I, I'm more into to meditation and, and um, you know... But but I'm inspired to do these podcasts, you know, and uh, but I, I like I, beca I mean I'm I'm getting exposed to new and interesting things. But I'm representing this sort of Victorian. Well, I'm this big Golden Dawn nerd because I was for so many years that I just come off as that. I'm not coming off as a yogi who who is sort of cynical about Golden Dawn. I had that other podcast called Gwydion's Astral 
coffee house where okay there's the master therion probably when he left the the golden the golden dawn and he's like ok first i need to conquer my ego so every time i say the word i i will cut myself oh shit i just said it three times four times ok ok from now on i shall ok from now on the master therion oh and i don't have to cut myself ok so the master therion has conquered his ego because the master therion never uses the word Master Therion will now go to the bathroom, you know, and so he was the Master Therion. And, uh, and so my, my equivalent in my alchemy of the ex-Golden Dawn adept rebelling is the Master Gwydion. <laughs> um, but, but that was actually a seed that was planted back in 2001, but with the intention of taking over the order and, and having die. It was actually with the intention of waiting the fucker out and then eventually taking on the role of chief adept of this gargantuan worldwide order in order to steer in a better direction. And I was willing to be patient, you know? And um, that was 2001, and that was when I was given the name Gwydion. And, uh, and that's what Gwydion was and always has been. And so he's a poet, very passionate, and, uh, and, and thinks the Golden Dawn is really stupid. And uh, I recommend his podcast. <laughs> I use the third person when I talk about Gwydion because I disassociate myself from him because sometimes he speaks in anger and he speaks things that I don't think are true. So I have several names. I have which you might have seen written on everything. It's, and it's a vision I had when I was practicing Zazen the first time in the Great of Portal in 1999 under this beatnik named Gordon that I was living with at the time, who technically was a student of mine. And, and then when he died last year, he, he just was an inspiration to a ton of people, a whole generation of Pasadena beatniks and uh, people who weren't going to put up any of these shit. When uh, these prep, preppy girls from Manhattan Beach, you know, came in, and they're like, um, could you do like a foamy latte thing with some cinnamon? And the guy was like, no. And she was like, excuse me, you need, you need to like have some manners, you know, and... And he's like, do you want anything that's on the menu? And she's like, I want to talk to your manager. And he's like, you don't want to talk to my manager. And she's like, I want to talk to Yes, bring your manager out here. And he's like, don't say I didn't warn you. And he went into the back and he said, hey, Gordon. Gordon's like, what? He's like, Gordon, one of the customers uh, wants to see the manager. And so he comes up and he's like, what is it? And she was like, oh, your employee was just saying, I, you know, I just wanted, and he takes the hot fucking coffee and he pours it on her. <laughs> Burns her. And she calls the police. And he goes to court. You know, he's like, that's Gordon. I don't, know, I don't know the details of the case, but he, he got away with it. I think he might have had to pay a fine or something. But, uh, but yeah, no, he, he brought the Hells Angels in as witnesses at one point. He was a nut. Um, and uh, anyway, so that was Gordon, and then he was in the order. He didn't get past practicus, because when, once you're in philosophy, you're supposed to be a teacher and an example to others. And he's like, fuck that. If he already went through Scientology, we didn't want to get involved in his staff at another organization. I, in order to keep other people off his back, I, I, I was his teacher. So I, I made sure that they always, you know, me... Yeah, I, I, I like to, you know, Enochian for me is more of a practice than a talk about... I mean, when, when I have a group of, of people together, I can do a meme. 
people get so obsessed with it that i don't understand i don't think it's healthy because it's it's all this weird revelation stuff so they're usually like fundies that want to that want to bring about the end of the world or something so like deep down but pinocchio magic for beginners you learn about the horsemen of the apocalypse anyway um oh these are signed by tabitha cicero these are the archangels i'm going to show you but oh yeah i didn't introduce you to my family this is my dad john dan reed this is his belt um this is his dad dan reed he's the one who brought oil to china and um this is the guy whose room we're in walter when he was a baby, then this was when he was in the Navy, and I told you about that when walled in the porch down there when he got back from the Navy. Mm. So this is Walter. He's my mother's mother's father. So father, and then mother's mother's father. So mother's side of the family. And then that train is also mother's side of the family. My sister and I had different fathers. So my sister is mother's side of the family also. This is my mother. Uh, sound CD. Yeah, yeah, I put that out, you yeah. know. And, uh... Uh, Father Yod. I made this, well, I painted it to represent my mom. Yeah, this, was, this was my dad's watch. I don't oh, know if it's a, Is it a Rolex? I don't think it's a Rolex. It is. But yeah, this was his watch. And then this was his journal that I read out of sometimes in the Edward Reed podcast. But it's hard, hard to read, so it's just me going, uh, I think he's saying such and such. And then my this belongs to him this statue. When he and his second wife, my step-great-grandmother Bernie, went to Egypt, he just fell absolutely in love with Nefertiti. And he just couldn't get enough of Nefertiti, and he bought this statue. And so, to the point where, like, his wife was sick of hearing about Nefertiti. They think they found her, her, uh, burial place. Oh, yeah? You haven't heard that? Oh, no. Oh, it's a theory. Oh, okay. It's, uh, the theory is that, uh, Tutankhamun's Burial is actually hers. Oh. She's hidden in the walls. There's another larger room back there. Because the, the, the speculation always was that, that it seemed, unlike other burials, it, it seemed cluttered. It didn't seem organized. It didn't seem like it was designed well. So there's they're apparently going, they've done, uh, I guess, sonograms on the wall. So, what was the name of the book that you edited and produced? Uh, it's called Real Alchemy. Oh. Who's, who was the author? Uh, Robert Bartlett. Okay. Robert Bartlett is a, uh, is a real alchemist. He is a, has a degree in chemistry um, and, and has worked as a, as a real chemist. Um, but he also apprenticed with and studied with Frater Albertus in Salt Lake City. Mm. Um, and Frater connected Al to Sean in Denver. Frater Albertus uh, was a real alchemist of the 20th century. Mm. And he had taught at the AIMWORK in San Jose, I think it is. Right. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah. These are great books. This Gareth, Gareth Knight book here. Mm -hmm. This is the one that I first read about Kabbalah, and it's the first time the the thing started to make sense for me. It's the first, it's the, the main book that I tell my students to read, along with the Fortunes. Nice. This one looks cool. Found fundamentals of Tibetan mysticism. Yeah, that is um. 
in episode two of the Esoteric Nerd, the one with Kes Fry, he's the one who gave me that book. So he talks about that book and why he's giving it to me, and I don't remember. <laughs> it's for the nice sanctuary. Right? People can can it's read a book while they're waiting for whatever. I don't know. In the temple library. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I do like uh, the Mech and Revelations. Um, the Lotus Born is good. The ones over here I've read because, you know, they're stacked up. Um, this one is good. You remember the girl, Yishi Tsyogal, the one with the statue on the side Right, there? yeah. She wrote this and uh, about Padmasambhava, her, oh, really? her oh. significant other. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great book. I love that book. Mm. So I was particularly interested that, uh, you know, the Golden Dawn people that I know in Seattle mm-hmm. were quite interested in learning the actual real alchemy. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they, you know, were familiar with the concepts of the transformation, the spiritual transformation. of But alchemy. also as above, so below. So right. you can't be a real spiritual alchemist until you learn the physical alchemy. Yeah. So uh, By that nerdism. The nerd logic of the so, Golden Dawn. So somehow, synchronistically, I met my master, Robert Bartlett, the real alchemist. He was living outside Seattle at the time, and uh, he was doing these very... He, he was just starting to do uh, workshop, workshops. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the, the first workshop, and there were like three people, three of us there, something like that. And then he, he did a... It was a full day, and I was just blown away because this was like, this was like real practical laboratory alchemy. Yeah. And I had always had the impression that alchemy was more of a psychological metaphor for was transformation. It tincture of lemongrass. Oh, all Started. kinds of things. Uh, herbal. He starts with herbal alchemy. Mm. But well, first the history, and then, and then how to do simple herbal works and he starts with uh, uh it's escaping me at the moment citrus or some kind of no it's uh starts with an r um <laughs> so uh so i kind of met him on the ground floor and he he had been practicing real alchemy he had been working as a as a chemist in idaho in an antimony mine he worked as a miner in an antimony mine. Wow. And antimony is a major part of the mineral works, I found out. Hmm. Probably not good for the lungs. I no. And, uh, and that he had had a place in Idaho, I think, and he had a lab in his house. And the neighbors saw the glass work through the window or something and called the cops. Mm, the cops they thought came it was, and uh, raided it. And meth. And confiscated all of his laboratory gear and then he had to go to court and he had to convince the judge that he was an alchemist and that it well he wasn't a, a, a meth dealer a meth those meth addicts are giving giving <clears throat> alchemists a bad name uh yeah so he co- had that all confiscated and he he got it all back actually he convinced them that he was not doing meth mm. and uh um so we I took multiple classes with him, mm-hmm. um, and I started to acquire my own gear, and I guess uh, I asked to be his apprentice. Nice. And so he accepted, accepted that, and um, I got more and more gear, and progressed further and further. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, at one point, we, we had done, 
he had demonstrated how to do the oil of egg. Hmm. It's where you extract the oil out of egg yolk. Ah. Oh. And uh, it has miraculous healing properties, apparently. It was at that point that I said, you know, you really should write a book about all of this. And, uh, and the next thing you know, he says, well, okay, I've written the book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I offered to uh, produce it and edit it. And um, so we actually formed a, 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 a partnership called Quangle Press, hmm. which I thought was a great name. Yeah. And uh, I edited the, the text, and, um, and then six months later, we produced the first edition, and Dennis Hawk who is another uh, well, well-respected and well-known alchemist. Uh, he wrote a book called The Emerald Tablet. Uh, he did a foreword to the book, and the first edition was very well-received. I, however, didn't have the resources to really support the book as a publishing house, you know, in the right. proper way. So I took the first edition out of print. But then Robert then put out... Uh, multiple editions after that and I think it's now available uh, on Red Red Wing Press which is a part of Samuel Weiser books hmm. so it's got major distribution now and I think I, the last time I looked on Amazon it has five stars nice so it's considered to be one of the definitive works in the topic yeah I finally decided to publish my dad's book so I'm going to like have to start going into that world in the next year just to uh, make it official. I, I had it available for free for many years, and I always would tell people, just search for John Dan Reed Transformations, and you got it. Now if they do that, the PDF says this is no longer available for free. Just you know join his Facebook page, and I'll keep you posted about it, the publication. And uh, then there's another place where it was also available for free, same thing. And so now it's kind of annoying to me because now when I want to look something up in my dad's book, I can't just go on the internet and do it. I have to like dig through my files, you know. But um, but I mean, yeah, I've decided to finally do that. I I, I think that by making it freely available, there are enough communities now that in which there are at least a few people that have read it, and uh, and so that will help in uh, you know familiarity with it. I think, and then and then. Poke Runyon coming out and publicly admitting that that they were like best buddies for many years and my dad was kind of bouncing ideas off of him while he was forming the OTA and stuff like that. I think it'll, it'll bring at least a little bit of some really fringe interest in uh, in my dad and, and I think anybody who's interested in Est historically or into Landmark Forum in present day would be interested in a book that was inspired by that working and already is that's on the Landmark Forum. They, they've got a link to it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I don't know, I just decided it's time, and, uh, you know, so I mean, but... If you want an editor, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the book, the book is as it is, like, it's like the Bible, it's, it's, you don't change it, you know, but, um, it's chapters and verses, I have it memorized, like, parts of it, um, 
but the, as far as like any footnotes or for, formatting or or introduction or or for afterward forward all that good stuff then yeah that'd be i don't know if he's popular enough to justify a physical print of it but the book might be the words might be but the thing is it's dated every the references he's making are all 1976 references which to me is fascinating but then i'm biased he's my dad so but then it's at a certain point what used to be normal regular life passing is now history when people are like getting really interested in the 80s who were born in the 90s or later it's it's it, it's amazing to watch, to watch it unfold. And I remember people who were older than me when I was young trying to explain how weird it was to watch. And I was like, wow, that must be weird. And now I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is weird. It's really weird. But it's nice that, I mean, because I wasn't alive in 1976. It was two years before I was born. And I can reach back and kind of look through my dad's eyes and see what the world looked like just before I was born. And it gives me the sense that I wasn't born in 1978, you know? Like the, the more year history I was married. Know. Nice. <laughs> in the 200th anniversary of the United States. Mm -hmm. I was too young. I was 20. What, a, what an idiot. <laughs> yeah, you I was know, an idiot. I wouldn't I listen 20. to anybody. People were telling me, you know, don't do this. This is silly. Don't do it. So many people think that alchemy is, uh, is, is just a spiritual transformation. It's psychological. You know, the Jungians... And then when you say, well, actually, it's based on real laboratory work, right. you know, it kind of blows people's minds. Oh, you're kidding me. I, th I think that chemists, especially these days with the, when they get into the really, like, like a, a, a chemist in a lab, um, when they get so absorbed in the project... Like the ones that are talking about when they're dealing with the quantum universe and they start to realize that the one that they were expecting to happen starts happening, they're doing alchemy. Whatever they, whatever label they want to put on it, their intention is involved in the results of the mixing of the different things. They're doing alchemy. I mean, we're, we, when, 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 a, when an alchemist comes along and wants to teach alchemy, they're teaching an older form of alchemy. The ones that are not calling it alchemy are doing the real present-day alchemy. That's you know? interesting. I hadn't really thought of that from that angle before that's yeah a, that's true it's just not popular to have Allah at the beginning of things the uh, the interesting thing to me is how it's it's a meditation it's it's a yoga yeah. of a kind you know because you're doing a an operation you have your gear in front of you and you're kind of sitting on a stool and you, you really need, you can't just walk away from it. You have to, like, monitor it. You have to supervise. And so you're sitting there, and there may not be, you know, any music or anything, but you're kind of staring at this thing, and it's doing really slow stuff, and you're trying to understand what it's doing, and you kind of zone out Yeah. as you're staring at this thing that's taking hours to do. And it's like a meditation. Yeah, like uh, the, a good kitchen. A good cook who puts their heart in what they're cooking is, is doing kind of a form of alchemy. So the process that you're doing, you're meditating on, and it's changing you. Yeah. It's transforming you. Yeah. You're, you're, and your intention is very important, and what time of, astrologically, that all has to be taken into account for the yeah. operation that you're doing. Then you charge everything up once you have it produced there's a certain hubris in uh in in the higher grades of golden dawn practitioners where 
you read about how McGregor Mathers um, was a Capricorn but decided to be an Aries instead. So he went into the vault and just rewired the universe so that the moment that he was born there was a different um, stellar ray and so the precedent was established that as a, a, a an initiate of the second order of the Golden Dawn you're completely immune to any kind of astrological influence and you can you're just customize kidding. it to whatever kind of working you're doing. Really? But, but just to satisfy the nerds that insist that the zodiacal you know it is still as important we would have rituals where we would consecrate you know a Venusian talisman where well Venus was at a certain place in the sky but the idea was just why not just add an extra kick to it even though obviously as adepts we could just go into the vault and bring in whatever way we, we wanted to and it starts in the grade of uh, Zelator at least where I came from I don't know about other orders but in the grade of Zelator second grade you get the BRH and it's like so what does the BRH do it's like well the LBRP that you learned in neophyte that gets rid of any unwanted uh, things floating around in your microcosm and then once you master that then you get the BRH which does the same thing to the macrocosm it just gets rid of any you know actual spirits or entities in this in the physical space and it also renders null any kind of astrological influence or uh, or aspects so like if it's like uh oh moon's void of course uh oh you know uh, uh, mercury retrograde uh oh and now all the you know astrologers are running around superstitious and mad and, and flailing their hands about like victims uh, magicians are, are are taking responsibility for the creation of the universe in present time and uh, able to pull whatever ray they can out of out of the center of their heart because that's where it all comes from anyway and it's all reflected on the outer edge mm -hmm. of, the, of the sky but then in, in our old uh, tree of life diagram we have it backwards where we put Malkut in the middle and we have the outer edge of the sky way out here and we say that it all that the source is out here and that the ultimate creation is in the middle but really the, the the source is the ultimate creation and it's projecting it all back out the constellations aren't really there they're in our heads <laughs> you know basically is what it comes down to it's in our collective consciousness and our collective unconscious which, and our is, history. which is very a, a yoga point of view yeah that it's all subjective fun oh here's some fun stuff this is um one of a kind well, no, <laughs> it says number 10, <laughs> but it's temple copy. So, like, this wasn't something that we would, you know, if pe people took it, we'd be like, hey, bring it back. And I wrote this, but I wrote it based on years of observation. It was, um, it was put together based on the uh, watchtower ceremony. And it, it was infused with a bit of drama a bit of psychodrama and a bit of catholicism over here and a bit of uh melodrama over no it was it was beautifully conducted beautifully and uh we did it monthly uh and uh it was called the magical healing eucharist and honestly i miss it and there was a point where i was the only you know, well i wasn't the only yeah it seemed like i was the only one who was like wanting to do it um but i also hated like having to go out there and do stuff and drive out there and not spend time with Janie when you know our so I at the, I was kind of like okay uh can someone else cover this I mean we should keep them going and then finally it was like well we're gonna stop having them and I was like don't stop having them you know and so I was kind of heartbroken about that but I know that it is performed in small group settings around the country uh maybe even outside the country um but yeah, this is something that if we had three people who were into into it and were down to rehearse for a couple hours, I'd love to put this on for a group of a few people and just utterly and shamelessly rip it off. Um, because I helped write it, you know. I mean, I, my DNA is in this too, and uh, and it was sincerely conducted. My um, 
my dad was, uh, exp he, he was very open about, both my parents were very open about sexual stuff when I was young and, uh, and everything else. And, um, and so Tantra, the idea of, of all these different energies and forces and things that you, you that you can't, you, you know, and there's uh, all the different philosophies and ways that people approach it, the way Crowley approached it. I mean, I kind of ended up learning a lot about Crowley from my mom just through like stories that she had picked up over the years. She was kind of like, um. I, she was into it. She, I have her old Thoth deck. It was her favorite deck. My dad mm -hmm. was the one that was like, stay away from Crowley. You know, my mom was like, they tried uh, cocaine once just to see what the what the hubbub was about. And then afterward, my dad was like, okay, I understand why it's addictive. And my mom was like, yeah, me too. Let's get some more. And my dad was like, no. You know, so he was kind of the, the adult and my mom was kind of the, yeah, let's do it again. You know, I want to do Crowley and cocaine. And my dad was like, Traditional Golden Dawn, no cocaine, you know, and so I went with what my dad said, but I love my mom, and I have her spirit in me, and, and so that's why I seem like a weirdo, is I'm a mixture of these two very different people. I think everybody in the world can say that, though. That's evolution, though. That's, that's you know, you take you take a, an, a, an occultist Buddhist who was born in Shanghai, and you take a, a Dutch white girl from Dewarty, you know, raised in, in a... By a, by a Christian and a scientist, and then you put them together, and then something is born, and then you kill both of them, and what do you get? Well, you get me, you know, I guess. And I don't know what that is yet, because I'm still in the middle of trying to figure that out and form it, and, and I don't know when I... I know that eventually, if I live long enough, this will be the 37 period. This will be how I was in 2015, and that will have led to something else, and I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is, and so it's still unfolding. It's the DNA still hasn't expressed itself. It's still at a certain point in its expression. And it, so it's, I, I think part of it is that you take, ride the axis of time-space and be in present time. Because you can easily get trail back, way back here. But I think one thing to keep in mind is that our memories are imperfect facsimiles of sensory experiences of a world that we're not actually even in, even when we're in present time. So there's not even a prayer of being in reality when you're, when you're trailing off in your own memories. And that's what isolates people and takes God energy and separates it from God energy. So so that it feels sad and isolated in the corner until it dies and then says, oh, thank God, oh, it's Jesus or Krishna or whoever they're expecting. And then they're reunited with the source. What was I talking about? Fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were on a roll there. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, you should be doing a YouTube video. <laughs> so, so here, let me show you in the temple. So, um... And there's all this music and stuff, and some of the music I use in the podcast is actually from the Eucharist. Um, so... Also a little, a little edited piece out of uh, the Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, basically, they'd all come in and do, you know, round and round. Everybody walk different ways and go different things, and every, there's a different element. I don't have the four elements as they are in a traditional Golden Dawn neophyte uh, setting here right now. It's a, a severed rose, which I, on principle, don't do, unless it's fake. Um, I, I leave the roses in the ground. That's my religion. And, um, and so there'd be a cup of, of wine, uh, which is funny because you take an oath in the original oath, I will not allow myself to be placed under the influence of someone else through drugs or alcohol. And then at the end, they're like, okay, drink this wine. And so I'm thinking, is this a test? <laughs> and then everybody else drinks the wine and everybody seems to be fine with it. And I was like, hmm, all right, <laughs> whatever. Didn't I just take an oath not to drink? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, and so anyway, then there's uh, the red lamp, and then there's the uh, patent of bread and salt. 
And uh, so, and this is derived from the neophyte initiation at the end, you commune with the four elements. So this entire ritual is just an expounding of one part of the, neo of the neophyte initiation. So we'd have people come in on Sunday morning as if this were a religious thing. And then, you know, we'd have everybody come into the Isis shrine and, uh, and then kneel down and then, um, you know, uh, and so on. Sancta Maria. Sancta Dei Genitrix, ora pro nobis. Sancta Virgo Virginum, ora pro nobis. Causa nostre laetitiae, ora pro nobis. Vas insigne devitionis, ora pro nobis. And it gets fun because there's like Stella Matutina is one of the titles of Mary. Mm. And uh, so we go through all this, oh, it is? this Catholic shit. That's it. Yeah, and uh, and also a title of Satan, <laughs> so it gets confusing. But anyway, and Venus, obviously. So then we do this one. Uh, yeah, there's some other stuff, and more more of that in, in that vi vibration stuff. Um, largely inspired by um, you know the Tridentine and Norbertine Catholic masses. But then you've heard me talk about by now. You're starting to be able to visualize a guy in red here, right? And he became Greek Orthodox in protest to all these fucking Catholics, you know? And so then he's like, you're going to tell me that my lineage isn't real? And so I was like, hmm, hmm. So I became Russian Orthodox Catholic. So it was like recognized by, it was like, when, when, the, when the Roman Catholics make Greek Orthodox churches, it's rude. And the Greek Orthodox don't appreciate it. They're like, thank you, but why don't you leave that to us, you know? But when, um, the, when Russia went communist and they started shooting archbishops, and the only ones they'd let live were the ones that would write letters and sign them and seal them to all the other churches in, in, around the world that were from the Russian Orthodox, saying that they needed to embrace the ideals of communism and preach it, um, there was a sever, there was a severage, there was a split, a schism, if you will, between all the, the, the churches within Russia that were, had guns to their heads and all the other Russian churches in the world that had now no funding now. Um, and, uh, and so then there was a Jesuit who was Russian in, uh, down over by LAX and he was running a Catholic church and nobody was coming to it. And the neighborhood was Russian and they were all going to these like Jehovah's Witness churches and stuff. So he just like was like, hmm. So he built a Russian Orthodox church inside of the Catholic church and just started performing the Russian Orthodox um, uh, liturgy. And, uh, but largely in English so people could start to transition into the culture who were coming in from Russia. And it did well and that was the church that I joined. Um, Oh. And I sang in their choir for many years, and that's when I was reciting out of the book. That's where that was from. How old were you? I was in my twenties. It was a, it was a, a, a part of my becoming an adept um, process. It was basically when 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 L. Ron Hubbard had exhausted his brain and and given everybody all the actual good advice that he had, and then they kept asking questions. He was like. All right, there's aliens, you know, like this. So he came up with this other shit out of his ass. So similarly, um, after we had run out of grade material and I had learned all this shit, then uh, then then the cult leader said, "Well, you need to join the Catholic Church," you know. And so, and so I was trying to find a way to reconcile the cult leader with the revolutionary, you know, with the guy that was standing over here. So not not the guy that stood here. He just has a heart of gold, but his teacher. But this was the guy that taught me Catholicism. He would take me to mass and stuff. And meanwhile, over here was, in blue, was a guy named He was the only person I trusted in the Second Order. And back then, I wasn't in the Second Order. I was in Portal. 
I was just watching it every month, you know, and uh, participating as a lesser officer that would carry the elements around. And uh, then he he drove me to my to my initiation, and and uh, you know then I was initiated, and then I came into the second order and found out about the darkness on the other side of the veil, where everybody was obsessed with bellum, this idea, the Latin word for war. At one point, I had bellum written on my sword, um, you know, and, I, and it's a single-edged sword, which is inappropriate symbolism for a golden dawn, for a, for a, for a Rosicrucian sword, and I tell people that's because I just, mine is just war. I don't have peace on my sword. And um, so that was the second order in 2001. And so left in the heat of all that. He was a uh, vegetarian and he was he, he he was a good person. And he, like me, was trying to do this flow reversal, this tantric flow reversal and be an asshole for a change, you know, like to, to have a spine, you know, because that's the kind of stuff the cult leader was saying. And, uh, and so then he finally had, had it and he left. And so I went over to his house and he let me in because I was, we were friends. And I sat there for, and I talked to him. We talked about nothing to do with the temple at all. And then eventually I was like, so there's people on their way here. And he said, figured there were. And uh, he said, how much time do I have? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, okay. So I'm going to go. And I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And then he left, got in his car, and pulled out just as And, uh from Canada arrived and he just waved and drove away in his Honda Civic and I never saw him again. So they tapped me and I came up and put on the blue and I stood there staring at in the face for eight years. And um, so the three of us conducted this ceremony, and uh, they asked me if I could write it down, and I wrote it down exactly as had evolved it between the three of them. It just had started to, one would say, well, I'm going to say Osiris Onophris, and someone would say, well, I'm going to say Osiris the Redeemer, and says, I'm going to say Osiris slain and risen, and someone else says, I'm going to say, oh, and it corresponds with the elements, we'll do it that way. And so I wrote it that way. But then later, people were like, well, you don't have to say it exactly like this. I'm like, yes, you fucking do. <laughs> Otherwise, you're doing a different ritual, you know. And uh, so, you know, I just, I, I got attached to the ritual as it was. But then eventually, um, one day, uh, at Power Week, he took the lead role. And, uh, and I got to see him do it. And then that was kind of the first time I thought that maybe one day I would do it as the lead role. And it was also, he blew me away, because, I mean, like I said, he's a deeply religious man. But, I mean, when someone who's that deeply religious, he was raised Christian scientist, had become Greek Orthodox, but from a Gnostic Rosicrucian perspective, was able to proclaim himself the, the, the master of all the gods in the hall of, you know, of truth, you know. And, and, and so when he did it, it was absolutely sincere, you know. And uh, that blew me away. And um, hmm. when he said... I am he who is clothed in a body of flesh, yet in whom flames the spirit of the vast and unknowable one. Fucking off script, not the right words. But his philosophy was, you know, the script's just there as a backbone. And then when the spirit moves, let it move, you know, and, and, and he's the real thing. He's, he's, he's a good guy. And uh, Rosemary.
Rosemary. My database oh, has been searching. That's where time. the memory it awakens the memory actually. And, Rosemary does, yeah. Uh, so the the first elixir that you that we that Robert Bartlett taught me to make was rosemary. Nice. It's a sun herb. So very aromatic. Yeah. Oh man. So I don't know. Anyway, so you got a lot of this Genesis stuff, but You're it's looking like for some somebody to maybe do this with you. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's um, you know, uh, I might help a couple. Of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that anybody'd be too upset. There's already more than one order practicing this ritual, so I mean, I just snagged this. So, why not? It's it's a good one. For I am Osiris triumphant, even Osiris Onophris, the justified one. I am he who is clothed with the body of flesh, yet in whom is the spirit of the great unknowable one. It wasn't in the script, it is now, because that's what I said when he blew my mind that day. And uh, so that's how I wrote it. I had forgotten that. But people would always say it another way, you know. But, uh, yeah, so then, of course, I ended up leading that ceremony um, after a few more years, and... Uh, so when, when Zarathustra came to the Temple of Isis, he came to a, this ritual, and, and I led it. So By then, I knew it like the back of my hand, and so we were all just having fun. Because whenever I was the most senior person on deck, that meant it's all just... It's cool. It's cool, everybody. It wasn't a total monkey house. It's just, you know, you know me. You know my personality a bit. Like, I'm funnier and... and uh, yeah, I'm not as, I don't take myself seriously, like I'll call, not people, but ideas out on being not ringing with the ring of truth, even if they're straight out of McGregor Mathers, you know, I don't give a shit, you know, if it's horse shit, it's horse shit, it should be pointed out as such, and we should root it out, you know, you know, as best we can, you know, use that inner compass, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm dominating again, the, 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 the conversation again, I'm feeling self-conscious about it. Oh, talking too much. In the day of light, in the light of day, yeah. actually, uh, now I can see yeah. writing on the on the fire wound. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hadn't seen that last night. Yeah, yeah. Here, let me show you. Um, this this was your mother's. Well, it was it was unpainted at that time. I painted it. Um, so, Aleph, right? Boy, see Aleph, boop. Aleph, Resh, Resh, boop, boop. Right. Olive, fresh olive. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. So it's sort of like you can go next to it. Create the sigil. Exactly. That's how all the sigils are created. Mm -hmm. But in the, when you're when you're painting it as a as a in the outer grades, you just get a picture of the sigils and no explanation about where they come from. And then later you make this, and then you go, oh. <laughs> and so that's how that works. Um, a lot of sigils come from this, actually. So. So when you have that glyph memorized and all the Hebrew memorized, you can actually get to the point where you can look at a sigil and go, oh, it's Gabriel, you know. Mm. It's pretty cool. So we were listening to episode four last oh, night. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, There's a lot of things I didn't recognize, but but then we got to the LBRP, mm -hmm. and it's quite different from the way we learned it and the way we do it. Hmm. Um, so I'd be interested to know your feelings about how the source of where you come by your pronunciations mm -hmm. 
They're from uh, Sephardic Hebrew. I decided to anchor in actual Judaism. I took two years of, uh, of Hebrew weekly lessons from a woman who teaches at University of Judaism, now known by some other t title. Uh, and uh, she's also a Kabbalist and, and a writer and a visionary, and she's into Gurdjieff and all kinds of other stuff. So I was like, I love you, and I'll give you half my paycheck if I can come over here and, and once a week and just sit down and absorb what you have to offer. And, um, and so she taught me Hebrew. And um, so I learned that it's not Gabriel, it's Gabriel, because there's no, it's not a bet, it's a vet. If it has a dot in it, then it's a, a bet. Uh, but it has no dot, so it's a vet. Um, most of the bets are vets. If it's at the beginning of the word, then it's a bet. If it's in the middle of the word, it's probably a vet. Unless you're saying in something. If you say it's in the house, you say bubite. So there, it's too buh buh. But that's the only case, really, that I can think of where you, uh, where you pronounce a bet in the middle of the word anything but a V sound. So, yeah, it's not Gabriel, it's Gavriel. Uh, so it's not Gaborah, it's Gavruha. But in particular, Yodi Vahe is very different from what we're used It's the spelling of the of the, you spell it, because it's blasphemy to try to pronounce it. That's why it's fun for me to, to, to be involved with the Source family, where they say Yahoa, because I spent so many years being respectful and, and pronounce and, and spelling it out so as not to, to breach that ancient, you know, blasphemy. Because the high priest is the only one who knows how to pronounce it, and he only does it in the, in the um, Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And then uh, that's the big test to see if everybody was sorry enough that week. Uh, uh, Polk had an anecdote about that where there were some Jewish guests at, at an event, and, and the, they got to the part where they're vocalizing uh, yod heh vah and all the Jewish guests got up and left. <laughs> do you, do you no, that's a good one. That sounds true. Maybe that's on his YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, about right. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, that's why we spell it. And, um, Ata, Melkut, there's no TH sound in Hebrew, in any dialect of Hebrew. Uh, if you're Ashkenazi, then you'd say Malkus. So it's more correct to say Malkus than it is to say Malkuth. When you're saying Malkuth, you're speaking Paul Foster Case. You're speaking Victorian Freemason who heard that his friend met a Jew once, um, version of Hebrew. Uh, and it stuck, you know, because they just kept passing it down uh, in these white people circles and no one ever bothered to ask their Jewish friend how to pronounce these things. And so that's what I decided to do, was go ask a Jew. <laughs> She's um, from Israel. Her, her grandmother, grandparents were Persian. And they heard the Messiah was coming and that they should go to Jerusalem. So they sold everything and, and got rid of anything that looked Jewish and dressed like they were just Arabs. And they were like and went across the desert on their camel, and, and they were among the first 200 Jews to arrive in Jerusalem at the dawning of the new state of Israel. And then so their kids grew up and were like gung-ho fucking Israel state, you know, uh, fighting for the, fighting the Palestinians. And so then, then they had kids, and she grew up like, okay, well, what about God? Wasn't there God somewhere along the line? Isn't there supposed to be some spiritual something happening anywhere at all? So she left and came to Sherman Oaks looking for... For God, you know, because you couldn't find it in Israel, and uh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I want to get her on the Esoteric Nerd podcast. I, I you lived in Jerusalem and you left and came to L.A. in to search find the to find spiritual spiritual satisfaction of wow. fulfillment. Yeah, because here is such great diversity that surely there must be whatever's 
the the latest expression you know the latest true expression of divinity but she's really anchored in jewish tradition to the degree that i pushed her button a lot just by talking you know like and but you know we got through it and we're still fast friends and she spoke at my wedding and everything but i mean i tried to get her to translate the ave maria into hebrew and she like got to that point mother of god she just wouldn't i was she was like well there is a way to conjugate those words that way but surely that's not what it means right you know and i was like no that that is what it means uh they say that mary's the mother of god because jesus is god and she's his mother so we call her mother of god and she's just like well if you want to say mother of god i forget the exact phrase you know but it would be this and so i wrote it down and she's like i think you should leave <laughs> I like got up and left. So we had some rough times, you know, but but yet in the same in the same conversation she's talking about, yeah, Mohammed was just up against these stupid Jews, you know, and, and they were they were just these pig-headed, narrow-minded people that wouldn't accept the new prophet. And so he had to go off and create Islam and because because they were so narrow-minded, you know, and then she'll say stuff like that, and then she'll talk about Hinduism and bring in Krishna and talk about all the different gods and how it's not one god, it's many gods, and then I say mother of God, and she's like <laughs> You know, she couldn't deal with it. The narcissist there is a mother of God. And yeah, exactly. But one mother of another God is who cares? They don't. They're not talking about the one God. But then with this was talking about the one God, and it's the narcissism of small differences. It's too close to Judaism to be comfortable if you're going to throw in that much blasphemy. In in Egyptian, there's a mother of a God too. Yeah, where that's where the, the Christians Aeneid, got it. <laughs> what do they call it? The Aeneid, the mm. the nine gods. In the creation myth, the first, the very first god, he masturbates. Yeah, Ptah. And and That's the life, sound it makes. life force <laughs> lands on the earth, and from that springs the first duality. Mm. Uh, Geb and Newt, Tef, Tefnut. Oh, she came later. Like she was yeah. a few generations later. I forget what the, the entire be like story the goes or something. So what were you saying about, uh, you did a sacred geometry class? Yeah, I did a class at House of Intuition a couple of years ago. And uh, it was about how to open a portal to another dimension. was the name of the workshop. Nice. And, uh, of course, a lot of people came to that. Um, and essentially, it was very synchronous the way that I got turned on to what I think is the most sacred ge geometric object that there is. And it, it's fairly recently discovered. It's called the E8 poly polytope. Hmm. It's uh, an eight-dimensional lattice work. And up until very recently, there wasn't enough computer uh, power to calculate all of the data points of this lattice work, mm. but they used some supercomputers on it um, in 2007, I think it was, and the American Institute of Math Mathematicians was involved in this, and uh, they were able to get all the data, and then a fellow named Garrett uh, Lisi uh, used that math to come up with uh, an, uh, his innovative theory of everything. He's a theoretical physicist. And uh, that made a big splash in the press in 2007. Hmm. 
Well, I got in contact with him uh, very synchronistically, and he turned me on to this. And and so I uh, I created. If, if, if you have an eight-dimensional object or a higher-dimensional object, it'll rotate in that higher dimension and it casts a shadow in, in our three dimensions, which then casts a two-dimensional shadow, right? Mm. As you rotate it in, in that higher dimension, um, there are what are called symmetry axes, where all of a sudden everything locks into a symmetry and then you'll rotate, and then you rotate a little bit, and gets out of symmetry, and then it'll, then you'll find another symmetry axis with a totally different symmetry. Um, this one will be pentagonal, and then you'll rotate it, and then you'll find one that's hexagonal. So it incorporates both the the five and the six in the object, mm. the same object. And then you know, I played around with it a lot, and you could come up with seven-pointed symmetry and uh, four and eight octagonal. Um, there's all these symmetry axes in this thing as you rotate it around. And there's one particular rotation that is just exquisite in the third-dimensional shadow. And that is called the concentric circles um, rotation. And when you put it all the way down to two dimensions it creates this great spirograph thing with a with concentric circles mm -hmm. in it. it looks like a mandala and in the very center is a hole it's a tunnel that goes straight through the object then if you, you pop it up into three dimensions then then you can actually look at it and it's got a tunnel that runs through it and uh, it's just an exquisite object hmm. um, so the, the, the kind of intuition I had was that you can use this object like a stargate. And as you rotate it around, you get these symmetry axes. And you can, you can print them out in two dimensions. And that becomes a mandala. Mm -hmm. And then you use that mandala to meditate. And that, that's like an address. And that will take you somewhere and then you can take, make another rotate the object again you, you find another symmetry axis print that in 2d make that into a mandala set it up meditate on that and then you can go to that place and 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 the my my intuition is that this that that the higher beings have been waiting for us to get smart enough to figure this out yeah <laughs> And, and and we finally have the computing power. We finally found this object, and it's like an invitation. It's like it's like a phone book that they're giving us. Yeah. It's and it's, it seemed like a new frontier to me. For exploration. Um, and actually, the artworks in the back of my car are based on that object, and they're they're three by three mandalas. Uh, and then you set them up, and you can use them as a for meditation purposes. And then, and then you go wherever that particular address is. Yeah. And it's such a far out idea, you know. It's that's fucking crazy. Yeah. 
Well, the the, the two divergent, simultaneous uh, theories slash conclusions slash hypotheses, whatever, uh, that come to mind are um, one and the other. Uh, when you go to that place and you experience it as a human being with the kind of computing power that we have as a human being and a consciousness interwoven with with that complexity what does that do for the entities there at that address that we've arrived at that's conclusion number one question number one and then separate simultaneous is that these are i mean possibly like a a further elaboration or expounding upon the idea of union archetypes allowing you to key into aspects of your own unconscious, maybe the collective unconscious or conscious uh, mind. Yeah, just basically that. I mean, it's like the, uh, we used to run into in the, in the order that there'd be people who come from a background where they just, where they believe in angels, you know, where I've always, I, I've prayed to angels and they've always answered my prayers, you know, angels are real, God is real, and, and this angel was sent from God. So we go, Good. So anyway, since you're made in the image of God, when you say, before me, Raphael, Raphael will appear. And so someone from that background empowered with that ability is very empowered, right up until the point where you say, and then you can talk to them. Then, you, then you've opened up a can of worms, you know, because if you're, if you're going to mix, mix Fundy Joe over here, Toothless Joe from the Inland Empire, who hasn't read a book, and put him in the, in the Golden Dawn... And, and all he's got to go on is some crazy third-hand hallucinated interpretation of some bullshit at some crazy First Adventist Church of Assembly of the Fucker, you know, out in, the gut, out in 29 Palms or something. Um, then you end up with some real, whack, real wacky interpretations of Golden Dawn. Um, then on the other hand, you have kind of where Rigardi was leaning, where it was like, let's make this make sense in terms of psychology. So, so yeah, so yeah, so we would run into that. And then, so, so you could kind of like, I, I kind of got used to being, like, I would say that I'm a Virgo, so I'm very flexible and malleable. So whoever I'm talking to, that's who I'll teach, you know, and, and, uh, so I'd have someone come in and it's like, well, I'm very pagan and I come from a Celtic background. And I was like, well, W.B. Yeats and McGregor Mathers put together a system where they took what was available, the information from the Druidic system, and they brought it in, they codified it, and that's actually what a lot of modern Celtic systems are. They, uh, oh, yeah, sold! She's in. You know, check. You know, that. so I do, they put me in charge of the orientations for a while. But toward the end, I'd just scare everybody off. They'd come in, I'd be like, what, are you foolish? This is just a warehouse in the middle of the Inland Empire. You drove here from Hollywood on purpose, you know, like... And so they'd leave and not join, and people would be like, you know, something about your orientations. I'm like, yeah, you told me I had to do the orientations. And, but it, early on, when I was, when I was still uh, a believer, I was good at the orientations. And, you know, someone come in from a completely scientific background, I'm like, well, this is basically, you know, I, I mean, I could approach it one way or the other. I get, if, if someone's a lover of tradition... You know, I get, a little, get to know a little bit, oh, so what's your, uh, the Ren Fair? Oh, well, the ultimate Ren Fair. You know, it would be really cool is a Victorian Fair. Well, you've arrived. This is a Victorian Fair. We've <laughs> taken the best part of Victorian England, and we're putting it on faithfully for you. What do you think? Sold. You know, and uh, so whatever your point of view, it could, you could spin it, you know, to, to sell Golden Dawn. I took uh, an Enochian class with uh, Lon Milo, mm. and I seem to recall... That he was stressing not to take it all literally, that it was mm. more of a psychological yeah. 
Well, yeah, because you're crazy if you're taking it literally. I mean, the definition of crazy. You know, I mean, especially the Enochian stuff, because it's like, okay, we're calling on the four horsemen of the apocalypse to bring about the, you know, what the fuck are you talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was in that class that uh, one of my fellow students, um, he, he later on, um, he, would, he was in the OTO, rose, rose very quickly, and then reached a point where he, I guess, went on a, on a pilgrimage out into the middle of the desert and, and had revelations that he was the Absissimus mm. and declared himself that when he yeah, came back. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the classic ways to go as a Thalonite, is total <laughs> imitation, that, you know, not doing it as, as, as creatively, you know. It kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, I, I find more more thalamites in traditional Golden Dawn than in, uh, in you know in those hardcore thalamite circles. They seem to be a bunch of followers. It's ironic, isn't it? You know, like Jesus. It's like that whole Life of Brian thing all over again. Uh, you don't need. You know, it's like, yes, yes. We're all individuals. <laughs> like so, you can do it however you want. Do what thou wilt. Should be the whole of the law. Love is law. Love under will. They're, they're, oh, okay. Thank you. I I prefer to say hi <laughs> or hello. <laughs> you know. Like, Are you familiar <laughs> with the Frater Akkad story? Not as well as I should be. I've had it ranted and raved to me by an Irishman with Tourette syndrome um, for hours while I was <laughs> trying to watch porn when I was seventeen. But other than that, no. <laughs> oh, you remember all of. He was my Dada house in my original neophyte initiation, but yeah, well, he's like the classic story of the the, the occultist who loses his reason. Oh yeah. He he was a student of Crowley, and and he also didn't know how to pronounce Hebrew. There's, achat, is the feminine form of echad, achad, not a word. Uh huh. Yeah. But I think he was he part of a Vancouver temple. Oh, interesting. What period? In the 20s or 30s. Oh, okay. Not related to the 30s. ones I know of. So, uh, uh, unless there's some kind of link to that old time. Maybe. Maybe spiritually. There's, there's, a, well, I'll, I won't interrupt. But he, he, Crowley was supposed to have a son, uh, the, the one that followed, the official heir. Oh. And he claimed to be that heir. Ooh. Uh, and then he he wrote a, wrote a few books. Yeah, um, I just remember pretty one, classic one one words. one. God. Um, one book that I love it's uh, about sacred geometry. Mm. Uh, about the the macrocosmic snowflake, which is the tree of life expanding expanding out into infinity nice. in in three dimensions. I, I don't think it's correct. Uh, but it's I, I have issues with it. But, well, with um, the tree of life, you know, it's hard to say correct or incorrect. It's there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But uh, I guess he ends up Crowley. Crowley disowns him, and I guess felt like he'd lost his marbles. And and uh, but that's Charles Charles Stansfeld Jones was his name. And he, he ends up back in Vancouver, I think, and there's some, some anecdotal tale about him wandering around the streets uh, in, an, in an overcoat with nothing else on, and, and he, perhaps ending up in, you know, in an asylum or something. 
So it's like the quintessential tale of the dangers of obsessing too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, the traditional Golden Dawn equivalent of that then would be Light Bearers of Darkness. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman who wrote it. Um, but she uh, was running an, a, one of Falcon's temples after Falcon went to New Zealand. And uh, that was World War Two period. Or World War One, And... Uh, yeah, apparently they, they lost it. Well, she had decided that the Golden Dawn was part of a uh, Zionist plot for world domination. Oh, and it's not? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a... Uh, at the time, uh, the book influenced other popular authors that, that came around and influenced certain Germans, but... Um, so that's, that's creepy. Apparently, I mean, and I only... I didn't read it. I only heard about it. Apparently they were having this recurring vision because it was the Third Order they were in touch with. They were like, what's going on? World War One, And they were like, yeah, just go astral. Just do astral work. And so they just did that for years. And uh, and so they kept going back to this room with this table and a bunch of evil Rosicrucians, fallen Rosicrucians who were German, and they were waiting for the one who was going to sit at the head of the table. And so this is like, meanwhile, Hitler's getting uh, blinded by mustard gas in uh, World War One, And uh, then they ended up couple of them ended up in uh, mental institutions, from what I understand, the chiefs of that temple. They weren't even polemic. That was traditional Golden Dawn. Hmm. Are you familiar with Schwaller de Lubick? Mm -mm. He, he, he spent a lot of time in Egypt, mm -hmm. uh, particularly at Luxor, I think it is. Uh, as a, he was surveying the temple, I guess, and he, he wrote books about the symbolism encoded in the temples in Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, but that, then I was reading something about how he was involved in some kind of fascist uh, organization hmm. back in the day. And when you hear that, it's, it's, it's depressing to hear that these people that you so far admire, you know, took everything to, to a to an, ex an, an unacceptable uh, extreme. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, people are people. And I think if... It, it, forgiving one's own shadow, one can start to... start to come to terms with the shadow of others and, you know, be able to perceive the good that one can do uh, in spite of the evil that they do at the same time. So you don't want to like put them on a pedestal or anything, but you can acknowledge, okay, well, that was that was something good they did. You know, it was like if someone were a fan of uh, the modern freeway and uh, and the Volkswagen Bug, then they they might say, all right, all right, those are two good things Hitler did. <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of either of those things. <laughs> so. Are you familiar with what's going on with Volkswagen right now? God, it's like one of the biggest, biggest corporations in the world, and it's the most successful, one of the most successful, right? And I guess there was all of this pressure to keep Volkswagens in the American market, mm. the diesels, and so in the modern age, the 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 cars are all computerized there's a computer mind that runs the engine hmm. so it's all based on the software that you put in that computer mm -hmm. and in order to 
get all of uh, a, a quota of diesels uh, purchased in the United States, they had to be able to pass the emissions tests to get these vehicles certified. And I, I guess the pressure was on the engineers to, to make these cars work to pass emissions. So some <laughs> brilliant engineer decided, well, we could write the software so that it can detect when uh, someone is testing it. And when it's being tested, you change all the settings so that it passes the inspection. And as soon as it stops being tested, then you go back to the regular settings. And so that what that means is that every single diesel vehicle that they sold during some six-year period or something was illegal on the road wow. and, and contributing to global warming and, and whatnot in, in a majorly way. Uh, and designed to fake out the emissions test. And so that's fraud. Wow. And that's the, huge. And the CEO I don't think resigns from wow. the company. And the, there are two engineers that are supposedly two high-level engineers that were behind the idea. And now there's congressional hearings into it. And, oh, sweet. And and uh, they're going to have to recall every single one of them and reprogram <sighs> so them. Expensive. And it's going to cost billions. Oh, you know. And man. the question is now whether Volkswagen can survive that. Mm. Probably not. That's a, but someone might buy them. Someone might feel, you know, might might want the Volkswagen symbol, the name, and and to put out the next version of a bug. What if Tesla bought it? You know, Tesla could have the Tesla Volkswagen bug. <laughs> you know, the new that, electric Volkswagen be, bug. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Totally. Good thing we're putting that out there for, for the buzz to send someone else will say, yeah, you know what it should happen is Tesla should buy it. Yeah, Tesla should buy it. Yeah, don't I heard I heard Tesla should buy it. Yeah. That's how radio works. And the, and the Tesla company is now coming out with uh, batteries that you can put in your house. Mm, yeah. You charge up your batteries. And it's totally so off the grid. So far. Okay. The Moolabanda. Yeah. Um, where you, you, you clench your perineum uh, or chode. Or uh, taint, because it taints the pussy and, and taints the ass, you know, hence the expression. Uh, the perineum is more more of a, a gentlemanly, uh, polite way of putting it uh, in class, though. And depending on the class, sometimes, if I'm doing a sanctuary class, I'll, I'll go on this whole, in fact, pretty much verbatim, everything I've just said is, is uh, the way that I lead the uh, Mulabanda when it's sanctuary class. But, uh, you know, because I like to get people laughing and kind of like point to the elephant in the room. Like, because like, when you say perennium, everybody in the room's thinking, yeah, you're chode, right? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know the muscle between, yeah, yeah, no, I know, between, right, between the nuts and the, and so, yeah, you activate that. It used to be a great secret. The yogis wouldn't let anyone know it unless they were the highest degree you know it's like you've proven yourself over the years that you've done all the work and you're dedicating your life to this and they'd mouth to ear whisper okay yeah but now clench your chode a little you know and then you really get it going and then you, you bring the breath work in you coordinate it with the breath work and focus on the third eye and then then you start to get that endogenous dmt uh you know i i i i don't mean to i don't mean to um talk about it like it's just a like a i'm Plants, that's the thing. It's the whole paradigm of 
like snorting coke, you know, like the, 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 the rich kid that snorts some coke or even someone on the street that smokes some crack out of a crack pipe and then there's that resin inside. It's just a, a real, it's like the Kali Yuga-izing, it's, the, it's the, the bringing down, what's the word, the, the, the desacratizing, the desacratizing of, um, of plants. You know, and, and I, so I try to keep that in mind and be reverent about when I'm packing a bowl or when I'm eating some broccoli and keep in mind that there's a plant happening in front of me that's just as miraculous of a thing as my own flesh and, um, and not take that for granted. But when we, when we say, you know what, I want, I, I want the, I just want the DMT. Give me the, let, let's uproot this entire fucking, you know, mimosa hostilis, mimosa tenua flora in uh, North Brazil or South Mexico or wherever. And, uh, and, 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 and get at the root bark so that we can use an acid to fuck with the root bark to get that 1% of it that's DMT. So we get this orange powder that we can put in a little speed pipe and go, and then, Uber death. It's the blue tunnel times 10,000. It's like the no experience that was ever meant for any mammal to have, you know, and it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly profound. Oh God, I love it. But I mean, I haven't done the ayahuasca route. I want to try, I still want to try that, but I, 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 I'm a little worried that I've exhausted my brain's ability to have a psychedelic experience. Like, you know how with, uh, with, with, they say if you do too much ecstasy, you, uh, you, you don't have dopamine anymore. So you get all this good mood, good mood, good mood on the weekends when you're young. And then you can't have a good mood ever again for the rest of your life. And it's a real drag, you know? So I feel like I, I might've done that. that. Yeah. I might've done that with, uh, I might've done that with, with tryptamines, you know, cause, cause, uh, well, I don't know. I, a good, a good psilocybin trip still works, but, uh, but I, you know, the, I never had a DMT trip like my first one. Like after that, that first one blew me away. But I think that also made me a little shy. It was it blew me away so much. I was I was foolhardy going in. I just took the biggest hit of that stuff and held it for way too long. And I just went so far into the bardo that it was just like completely surrounded. The horns, the everything, everything, all this stuff, and it was coordinated and it was dancing and it was out there and in here. And then when I opened my eyes, I could see the wood flowing, and I realized that everything I thought was dead wood was still alive. And I was inside of a might as well be inside of a tree. The the house I was in the Frank Lloyd Wright-esque uh, Usonian uh, house built by my friend Gordon that I was in at the time. And, uh, and, and then the, my wife had this purple lights going down her back. And then afterward, when we talked about it, she was like, yeah, I had these purple lights. And I'm like, fucking right on. Yeah, I saw them, you know. So it's like, it's, um, it's cool to like, you know, have such a profound experience immediately followed by a verification of a, of a comment of, you know, when we both see the same thing, it's kind of like, okay, we're not crazy. You know, I, uh, feeding each other's hallucinations. Well, that's you know. scientific. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit scientific. But, you know, if you need a hundred empirical. Of them, yeah, yeah. If you need a hundred of them and only one person saying, no, I don't see the, the purple thing. And the other 99 all see it. And they, with a lie detector, they all say they saw it. You know, then, then, then you know there's a purple thing. But until then, it's just hearsay. <laughs> I saw it. And I've drawn, I've drawn you know, the, that whole... Thing that I saw, it was amazing. And then we went into Gordon's room and we looked at his face. He was an older guy, you know. And so all the, but he's very wise, and his hair was just whoosh, there in his wheelchair. And... Oh yeah, I was going to show coffee shop that delivers. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. So I, um, yeah. Do you want to join me in the sure. closet? <laughs> in the closet. Yeah. We'll see what we got here. Fun stuff. I uh, just uh, 
right about here. Yeah. Oh, in here. Yeah. You know, just kind of, okay. kind of explore the mess. You know. So what's this? I don't know. What's this? Oh, this is my mom's old binder. Okay, cool. That's my. What was my mom up to? Uh, waning moon. She was doing some rituals. Uh, Bridget. She was studying Bridget. That's uh, how I knew about the eternal flame. Um, we were doing a lot of research and a lot of uh, reports and this stuff. Magical on, diary. Well, this was our our um, for the Druidic Craft of the Wise of America, based out of uh, Isle of Cat in Long Beach. This was our homework for Advanced Wicca. Um, we mm. had Beginning Wicca and then Advanced Wicca, and then thrown into the middle of it is some of my dad's old poetry from like the late fifties. And uh, I have only caught a glimpse of what you are, and that is wonderful. You are a breath of fresh air in the hot summer storm that my inner life has been, a gleam of sunlight where no sunlight was before, but clouds and she's, the ruined temples of the past, the broken ground of the night, and dreams that would never last. I have only seen a glance of you, I know. I know it more than I can tell. I always make sure that I have plenty of poetry of my father's that I have never read. Hmm. That, that, I have never read that. It doesn't have a date on it, unfortunately. I'm guessing... Is it dated by the postmark? Somewhere between 59 and 60-something. Oh, well, that that might... No, because this is with... This 40... stuff is 1983. So this has just got thrown in there. Oh, this is very old. This is in the 40s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a letter to uh, Mr. Dan C. Reeb in uh, San Marino, 2260 Hornet Road. Huh, who knew? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, I just, I have all that stuff. Okay, well, that's fun. So that, I keep that, that stuff around. I have more of that in other places in the house, but uh, since it was the, my mom's witch stuff, it ended up in this room. What's this? Ugh. This got rained on in the garage for a long time. And um, this was when I was first investigating. Here, let me grab the second attempt. Um, this was a much more successful magical diary. <laughs> so you can kind of see some similarities. Bear shit. Bear shit. Yeah, Bereshit Bera Elohim. That's, what am I doing with my R's? What accent is that? I don't know. But, um, yeah, so I wanted to really get down into it. And so I wanted to look at every letter individually and, and the numerical value and look at all kinds of different ways of looking at how the arrangements of the words uh, could be interpreted. And um, here I did the same thing. This was post 9-11, so my focus was on what the fuck was up with Hagar, you know? And, uh, and and this split between Ishmael and, and Isaac and uh, but when I th this was I was in I was in portal you know so this was like 1999 this was more like 2001 so I went through a bunch of Genesis and uh, I remember I was listening to vast the self this the, the the album titled vast and the band titled vast and I was listening to it was a great album he went through a real alchemical process and he documented it in a great album.
listen to it from start to finish. It'll blow your mind. Um, I must profess my ignorance. Oh, it's good. It's good. And then, what am I doing here? I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one plus one equals two. Two equals four. Uh, four, eight, eight. Eight, sixteen... Oh, that breaks down to seven. Okay, so then the sixteen doubles to thirty-two, which breaks down <laughs> to five. So, okay, so, so these are the... the two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four, the zygote shit. Uh, but but looking breaking each one down to see if there was a pattern in how it breaks down when you do it cabalistic nerdy, uh, you know, based on a base ten like we do. Uh, so it ends up being one two four eight seven five ten two four eight seven five ten two four eight seven five. So I successfully determined that there was a pattern two four eight seven five ten two four eight seven five ten two four eight seven five ten two four eight seven five ten. So so as you break down those doubling multiples, you, you end up in a loop. It's interesting. Do you know Jim um, Aquarian? Yeah. He gave yeah, me yeah. the name Pymander Aquarian. I tried to meet with him when I was in Shasta. It didn't work out. Oh, yeah? Unfortunately. Oh, what is this? Whoa. This is cool. This is something written by someone. And if you're out there and you wrote this, contact me and I'll give you credit. I've honestly forgotten whether this was Dana or Justin that wrote this. Before the entrance to the holy place, I shed my imperfections, I sacrifice my impurities, I empty my heart of sin. Procolo procolesti profani barlasti ompala. I return to the day of creation. I am washed clean by maternal waters. Out of that primal darkness, when came forth the word, was formed the perfect measure of its verity, truth, justice, rightness, ma'at. Oh yeah, this is Justin. In Ma'at is my foundation laid. I am nothing but what I am created to be, in perfect concordance with the eternal and pre-existent one. I invoke the Lady of Truth, Ma'at, into manifestation. O feather of infinite lightness, heart devoid of falsehood, receiver and conductor of the breath, I call thee Ma'at. You whose hall is the entryway into this order of light. You who watch, guard, and protect at the threshold of initiation. O highest aspiration which led me unto this exalted point, I thank and bless thee and call thee Ma'at. You who conduct and recite the word to we the dwellers of the earth. You who clothe the ineffable principles in tangible law and word. Speak to me the truth that I may understand. I listen to thee and call thee Ma'at. Lady of the Balances, Reconciler of all duality, you who are the true middle pillar, I aspire to thee and call thee Ma'at, perfect measure of all that is right, judge and perceiver of the true nature of all things, assist me that I may know myself as you know me. I call thee Ma'at. That's pretty great. Yeah, you know, it's funny how someone can get into magic for a few years and go all the way through the second order, be a hierophant, and then compose something like that, and then go off and just lead a normal life. And and well, that's that's what Mott's all about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Balance, being able to successfully balance things. Gordon used to call it graduation (laughs) when someone would leave the order. It's like congratulations, they graduated. Ah, oh, good stuff, good stuff. Better than ending up in the loony bin. Oh, hell yeah. Or worse. Yeah, you know, this is where it's like, mm, God comes before each other. What? This was some kind of weird notes. Yeah, notes from someone who was teaching some 
brainwash class. And then this is the uh, the tool to get into the universe card. Do you know about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is all universe card stuff. So this is how you get into the universe card. Or that's the tool to get through it. Um, it actually The universe looks, card? Yeah. Or the universe path, I should say. I have one. My mom made it. Oh, where is it? It's actually, it, it's a shape. I had one kind of like this, not quite as elaborate or as impressive. And one day at the bus stop in Seattle, I, uh, I, the bus showed up and it surprised me. Uh -huh. I ran to catch the bus and left my, my book. <laughs> oh, what a drag. And, oh. and somebody. I did that with my notes for my sci-fi. Somebody must have picked it up, you mm. know, and if, if they looked through it, it, it would be like, oh my God, it, it <laughs> would depend on what your own background would be, how you would take all of this strange esoterica, you know. Yeah. Maybe they turned it over to Homeland Security. <laughs> that was before that. So yeah, you you hold this up, and it's a symbol of the equate the the balance of all the forces, the twenty two. Um, so for example, you have uh, a letter for each element: Aleph, Mem, Shin, and Tav to represent Earth. All the uh, the three uh, signs of the zodiac that correspond with Earth: so Virgo, Taurus, and Capricorn. And then on the air side, you have Libra. Aquarius and uh, Gemini, always in order. Cardinal, fixed, mutable. Cardinal, fixed, mutable for fire. Cardinal, fixed, mutable mm. for water. Then on the back, you have the planets as they correspond to the elements. So in this context, they've decided to put Dalet there uh, as Venus representing Earth. Mercury, Bet, as air. Uh, Mars, Pay for fire. And uh, Calf for water. But I, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, uh, Gimel for water, the calf is on the back here in the middle. And so calf uh, represents spirit in one context because it connects with the, the highest you can go while you're incarnate. Um, you can go straight up that path with from the, from the sphere of desire. So, so that's in one context corresponded with spirit. So that's why it's important enough to go on the middle. Um, so this is this is a stage in your this is in something your development? In, a, in a golden dawn ceremony you have to hold this and uh, and that's the only way you can pass between the pillars into the universe card and, and navigate your way through the universe card. Uh, you, you hold this the whole time that you're going through the universe card. So this I don't is the think key I've ever seen this before to the universe card again Theorica stuff. Um, this is the. Uh, my rendering at the time of the universe card. Um, what else we got Sometimes here? known as the world. Yeah. Yeah, well, it used to be the world, but then when they discovered the world was round and that the stars aren't actually written on the inside of anything, then they started calling this the world, the Earth, the world. And so then they had to change the name to the universe. When the Golden Dawn came around, they changed it to the universe to clarify that we're talking about the whole universe. And then when Arthur Edward Waite came around, he decided to be traditional and changed it back to the world. Hmm. But I'm traditional Golden Dawn, so I call it the universe. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, so when I was a philosophy student, mm -hmm. hard depth, the, the term world, I think, I think it was discussed, the evolution of the use of that word. Hmm. And... 
my understanding was that the current understanding for it would be the same as universe, mm -hmm. just everything, you know? Yeah. Olam is the Hebrew. So we say Olam Yetzirah, the world of formation, Olam Asiya, the world of action. But it's the same world, it's just that one's formation and one's action. Um, here's a breakdown of the LVX formula on the judgment card. Uh, L being represented by Isis and Nephthys, V being represented by Typhon or Pluto, or depending on which pantheon you're looking at, and then Osiris or Jupiter or whatever up here, Mikhail, uh, for the solar fire. So you have Alb, Isis, and Nephthys, the astral fire. So that's your the heat of the vital heat of existence, and then Aud, which is the volcanic fire, that which destroys the material. So it's the rage, the tormenting, constrained fire that that renders us under the veils of matter. And then the solar is uh, is Osiris having been slain and risen, uh, the life-giving Yeshua, one foundation, etc. And so um, in the formula, when you go through the, the practicus initiation, you start with Osiris, and then you go meet the bad guy. You meet, you know, uh, Set or whatever, uh, and then and then you're reconciled here, and you find out that you're you're an immortal soul because of where you came from, and regardless of what gets destroyed. And so it's a really beautiful ceremony, and it's it's the real meaning of the judgment card. It has nothing to do with the Book of Revelation, and um, yeah, so that's good. Yeah. But but I like to I, I was breaking it down as uh, from the adept point of view, you start out as life, then you voluntarily go through death in order to allow yourself to be resurrected. So every morning you shuffle off your mortal coil and you you shine as your mortal self. Or as the samurai in Hagakure had said, uh, live your life as if you are already dead. <laughs> I mean that's a very samurai way of putting it, but I, I I kind of relate with that in terms of this, is that's why you do an LVX, that's why you get forgiven by a priest, and why you get it all off your chest at Yom Kippur, is so that you can walk as if you are already dead, which means you're eternally alive. This is the sun card. So you have a Taurus boy and a Cancer girl coming together to make the Gemini. Uh, you have a happy sun. Each one of these stones is a different zodiacal aspect. So we were talking about, oh, make sure you get the right zodiacal aspect. You have to wait until the world rolls along this wall to the right spot before you can invoke, say, the sun. Um, so, so yeah, that's one paradigm. But if you rise up above that into the sun, you realize that these are all rays that are coming out of you, and this wall is generated from you. So every different possible experience in all of its nuances here in the wall, and, uh, and but the, the path to transcend... Uh, as is stated in the initiation into this path, that that every uh, every every vehicle has a unique r relationship with the light of the Father, which is the only thing that's actually going on in the mind of the Father. Um, the sun is fire, and it is the dispenser of fire, and it is also the channel of the higher fire. So you have uh, Tiferet as the expression of Keter, and then all of the forces in the astral. Uh, being creative, and then duality, and then, you know, etc. Um, what's on there? Urging forth the growth of nature. The three aspects of the sun, instead of, instead of some harsh thing like this, the three aspects of the sun is, well, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold, and sometimes it's just right. It's like, wow, you know, so the sun card is real, like, whew, nice, good stuff. 
Moon card. That's where it gets. I I guess this is how I felt at the time about it, you know. And uh, so you write up sitting as Harper Crot within the sign of silence on the back of the crawdad, symbolizing Cancer at a trine with Pisces, and then you go on the yellow brick road. But you got to get past this guy. He says, "What dost thou seek?" And the only acceptable response is, "I seek to learn that I may serve." And then he'll fuck off. And then this one will lead you down the pathway between the pillars to uh, Netzach. And, um, yeah, that's how you get the Netzach from Malkut. Um, so it's all about finding present time and uh, not, like, because it, it comes in. Now, okay, this is the child of the sons of the mighty, which, in other words, this is the only tarot path that is represent that refers to something that is a grandchild of God, not a child of God. This is created by man. And as a Briatic concept, on the scales of colors of the Tree of Life, on the queen scale, the scale of ideas, the, the, the scale of um, the Briatic concept of things, it already has flex in Bria. It's the only one that does. Most of them have flex and rays in their princess scale. But in the queen scale, Kof has flex. Even as a concept, it's fucked. Um, up in the king scale, we usually use the king scale. That's where crimson comes in. It's half mm. blue and half. And I, when I say fucked, I mean it's it's grounded. It's already being influenced by chaos before it even manifests into the world of formation. Is it okay for me to take a picture of that? Sure. And uh, and so so you end up getting overwhelmed by this fierce character of the Hyrus, uh talking about a raging storm that is the unknown future. Then, then nothing can withstand. Like you think you're you're gonna withstand the raging storm of the terror of the unknown of what's gonna happen next. You don't know, you know. And then, uh, then the, the but you've already seen the Hyrus, and the Hyrus just says, "I am," or the, you, the Hierophant in this case um, says, "I am the past, reflecting all, concealing all." So you're like, great, okay, so you can look at the world, and you're looking at the world of the past, and it reflects all, but it conceals all, and the future is this scary unknown place, and so then you finally find your place between the pillars with Ma'at, again, I remember the invocation of Ma'at earlier, and she is the ever-passing present which stands in the place of the past. So, yes, here we are in this place that comes from the past, in the present. And actually, that's the only thing there is. And the rest of it's illusion. And that's the whole thing of the Path of Kof and the Moon card. is It's dealing with that nightmare uh, reality of the created uh, by the created. That which the created created. Nightmare on Elm Street, for instance, goes, you know, that, that would be in there. And, uh, and when your dad hit you inappropriately that one time, or when you got molested, you'll find that in there too. So that's a rough path. And that's why they wait until you've already been through the universe, and judgment, and the sun, and then finally you start to work this, because you've got a real good sense of self and reason. Now you're moving over toward the sphere of desire, but in order to get there, you have to get through, you have to plow through some of this stuff in the back of the head. Then you get here, finally. This is a great, great, great place to be. The Age of Aquarius! Yay! So, she's Isis, Venus, Nephthys, Hathor, and Jesus, all wrapped into one. And that is Thoth. And this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice there's no serpent in it. There's the bird of Hermes, the sacred ibis of Egypt. And that represents wisdom. So instead of a serpent tempting an innocent girl... 
in the Garden of Eden, that's already happened, it's already fallen, and now it's been redeemed, and that girl has become the second Adam, and she is the goddess. She is both manifest and unmanifest. She is known and unknown. She's the Venus that connects all the spheres of the Tree of Life. And she's pouring down the spheres of Hawkman Binah. And, uh, and above her is the star Sirius, the dog star, the brightest star in the sky. Now we know it's two stars, maybe three. And, uh, and then there's these other, there's these six, I think there's supposed to be seven, yeah. There's supposed to, oh yeah, the one on her forehead too. So there's seven seven-pointed stars. And then you have the Tree of Life over here. So you're back in Eden, you've eaten the Tree of Knowledge already, you know there's good and evil, yet you're in Eden because it's been restored, because there's wisdom. These are amazing. Oh, thank you. This is my work from when I was a little boy. <laughs> Before I even... This was when I still was starry-eyed and I thought the order was a good thing. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. Now oh, you get to the God. tower, yeah. Notice I put Crowley's star on top. I was going to destroy the false tower of Thalema with my pure Golden Dawn ways. What's there to say about this? Oh, and I put a rose cross here, too. So, see, yeah, the, the, the Rosé Rubé at Ori Crucis destroying the, the Star of Babylon. That's where I was at at the time. That so was, how old were you here? That was my paradigm. I was... What year was that? 99? So I, 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 was, I was between 20 and 21. Hmm. Yeah. This was after the fire, and uh, had taken over the, the duty of having a sanctuary for a while. It was called Sanctuary Gabriel, and it was down in uh, San Jose. No, San Pedro by uh, Long Beach. So I was. But just you said that you had joined initially when you were 16. Yeah. Yeah, so by then I was 19. So yeah, this is... It took uh, you a while to get to this stage. Yeah, a few years. Um, that was in Portal by... So it was 99. I joined in 94. So it was five years. So I must have been 21. Oh, yeah, I said 20, between 20 and 21. So I joined when I had just turned 16. Oh, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing that's wrong with the Boda deck and the Rider Waite deck is they lack the one thing that redeems this symbol, which is the upright star over the head of the devil. They put a reversed star in the one in the Rider Waite deck. I don't know why he decided to do that, but in the um, portal initiation, it's very specifically uh, pointed out that that this is not an evil symbol because the whole thing is being directed by Yeshua and the pentagrammaton as symbolized by the upright pentagram over the head of the devil. So um, the Wang deck and the Cicero deck and maybe a couple others are the only decks that don't contain an, an evil card. Hmm. Huh. Here is the Temperance card, the uh, newer of the two, and um, this is apparently where I derailed in my writing shit down. Um, but yeah, she's got watery fire and fiery water, and she's mixing them in perfect equilibrium. She's got the, the Prithivi Tatwa, maybe, the square yellow symbol over her breast. She's got the sun in her third eye, and I've got, that's kind of a nice, you get an idea that she's looking up at her third eye and connecting, and she's reconciling with her feet. Kind of outstretched the earth and the water, the fire and the air, and uh, that's temperance. That's the way. Mm. That's the way up the tree. To, um, straight up from Yasod to Tiferet. Daughter of the Reconcilers. This is Death. Look at the the, the magician with the... So, 
I noticed how you pronounce Foth. Mm-hmm. You say Thoth. I usually do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I learned that. Oh, it's, I'm sure it's both wrong. I mean, it's Greek for one thing. Um, uh, Tehuti, D-J-E-T-U-T-I, or whatever. Jehuti. Jehuti is probably a lot more accurate to the... But as far as how the Greeks pronounce it, I don't know. At the ending of the night, at the limits of the light. And then I used to be into this. We had a, a Shalom Jerusalem ritual for peace in, in Jerusalem. But I just got into this song, even though it's kind of Zionist, um, just because it's sort of beautiful about uh, Jerusalem of gold. It was, they sang it in um, Schindler's List. Bit of an anachronism because the uh, song was written in the 60s. But yeah, rituals. Um, okay, so at a certain point, like it came time for me to be the one asked to write a ritual, and that was 2002. And so I wrote a ritual based on the universe called S1. And then later, in 2009, I was asked to write another ritual for Haiti because they had just gone through a big earthquake. And so I wrote Ritual S2. And what did S2 do? Where's Ritual S2? Oh, Ritual S2? Um, where is Ritual S2? Well, I'll send it to you in a in a document anyway. Send love and compassion to the victims of the earthquake. Or? No. Um, okay. What it does is you're familiar with the vault of the adepti, right? Yeah, very superficially. Okay, so if we pretend that this is the Venus door, so this door would be like green, let's say. And then right here there's a yellow wall, and then right here there's an orange wall, and then right here there's a red wall, and then a purple wall, and then an indigo wall, and then a blue wall. So you have the whole thing. And then the ceiling's white, the floor is black. That's the basic idea. Okay. So what Ritual S2 does is it allows someone who's a neophyte to tap into that current, uh, you, given what they already know, and it reveals some things that aren't revealed yet, but you can look them up in a book. Uh, so you end up calling on, through all the appropriate divine names, the planetary angel of each of the seven planets, and then they take their position in the seven directions. But you do it in a particular way, where... After banishing, doing appropriate openings and everything and all the middle pillars and stuff, you uh, get in touch with your own corrosive Saturnian nature, uh, self-defeating uh, uh, beliefs, uh, fears, you know, things like that. Things that are, that are unwanted uh, obstacles. And then you burn them in a, in a, in a cauldron and you barf up all the, the, uh, the gross indigo energy from your own self and you empty out I mean if you go all the way with it not just the negative but the positive too you just release all of your Saturnian current then you turn over here to the Saturn wall to um, um, Cassiel and you ask him to bring in fresh Saturn from the Einsoff ore newly created um, to, to fill up the empty space that you just created and then you do it for Jupiter, and then you do it for Mars, and then you do it. And so each time it's like, you know, there's a list of things that are negative for Mars, you know. So I'm going to release my irritability and my anger and my blah, 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 but I'm going to bring in confidence and willpower and, you know, and so, so you, you, you transform all of these seven negative aspects of a personality into seven, into seven, seven 
sins, if you will. In fact, I think I even throw the seven, uh, the seven deadly sins in there, too, uh, as they line up with the planets in one particular paradigm. And um, so then after you've done that, then you are worthy to become the image of the goddess as the perfection of the human vessel. And then once you do that, you you call, you call on her and you you self-identify as Isis, Mighty Mother, and you go through this whole thing. And then you um, travel with the seven angels to Haiti. And then um, you rise up in the plains above Haiti. And then you invoke all of the angels of Earth under the guidance of Forlock and all of the divine names of Earth. And then as the Virgin Mary, Queen of the Angels, surrounded by this, these, the authority of these seven archangels, you command all of the angels of Earth to go down and protect Haiti from these fucking asshole white people coming in to take advantage of them and their time of absolute vulnerability right after the earthquake. Among other things. And to help heal and protect the individual, the good people. Not the wicked people, you know, because there's, of course, wicked people in Haiti, I guess, you know, or that's what people like to think. So I saw the rituals for the good people of Haiti. S2, the ritual for the protection and healing of the good people of Haiti. That's the formal cool, title. Actually, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it, yeah, it yeah. could act as a template for doing oh, similar yeah. kinds exactly. of rituals. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, I encourage people to, to hack it up and use it for whatever they want. You know, and, and uh, But I, I do say that if you're going to use the S2 formula, just throw in a, a little mention of Haiti. Toward, you know, it's like, yeah, and Haiti, you know, like toward the end. And so then S3, that was 2009 was S2. And then S3 came around after the schism of... Uh, March 2011, I decided to make Ritual S3 to help bring a sense of identity to the Temple of Isis. While it was still, I was trying to protect people from at the time. And so I made the S3 to help us to kind of come together as a family, Temple of Isis, and to so that they could brag about that they have S3 and CSS doesn't. And so I made it, and it all says Temple of Isis in it. But so what it is, it's the completion of the S, the, the of what I had set up so far, because S1 was based on the zodiac, and S2 was based on the planets. So S3 is based on the three mother letters and the cross in the middle. So it com completes the symbol of the rose. Wow. Um, so. So S3, I, I borrowed a lot from Thunder Perfect Mind, uh, the Gnostic scripture. Um, and the, the formula is first you do like a quick, ver so the, the idea is that you're not supposed to do S2 until you've done S1 a bunch of times. And you're not supposed to do S3 until you've done both S1 and S2 a bunch of times. So it's like step one of S3 is remember S1? Yeah, do that. Put that up. Okay, step two is, you remember S2? Okay, do that. Well, I mean, that's not literally step one and step two because you do your banishings and normal openings before that. But then you basically, real quick, step six, you do S1. Real quick, step seven, you do S2. No, you don't. Step seven, you uh, invoke Yah. So you start with the divine name of Chokmah. And so I've, you know, sort of intuitively slash educatedly um, decided to bring in Yah uh, and through the, basically to, to the Maslot, so the, the whole hierarchy of Chokmah, and then the, with the incense burner, now this is after having drawn an Aleph, so you start with Aleph, and so that's what it was, because in theory you've already done the middle pillar, so you've already invoked Eheye, and so 
so when you so you do this and the aleph so it's the path of our left not just air not you know it's specifically the path that connects have kettle with hokma and then you draw with the incense burner representing the incense burner in this case representing the letter aleph on the altar you draw a yode starting with your crown up here and then dipping down and forward to your third eye and that's where the bottom of the yode ends so you've invoked hakma and you've connected it to your third eye so i'm bringing in my own personal biases and mythology into the temple basically at this point um or into this practice this particular these just these particular rituals the s rituals um and so then after that you go into shin and uh, but you do that i was doing a little nod to the source family i call upon the divine father yod by all the divine names of hakma so i was like kind of like showing kind of people who don't who think father yod oh this is a stupid cult leader i was like what father yod and they well read it do some research and find out why he called himself father yod it pre-existed him you know it was like he he borrowed it from somewhere um and so then you do the red letter shin and then the multitude of stars oh yeah well i'll just read some of these um i'll just read part of it i stand before thee as thy daughter and I ask that I might be a manifestation of thy infinite and abundantly unfolding creativity. And I humbly ask that I might unfold as well, as a flower in the presence of thy vastness and thy multitude of manifestations, to bear witness, to serve, and to receive the light of thy sun and moon and thy multitude of stars. Thy will be done. Let it be done to me according to thy word. So basically what's happened here is you've, Okay, so the next thing is you go into the Mem. So you start out as the daughter. You start out as the spouse of God uh, with the Aleph. Then you move into daughter with the Shin, which is an interesting choice, I know. But I'm, I figure if God is Shin to you, then you're at, relating to it as the daughter. If God is a flaming fire coming down from heaven like the Spirit, then you must be the vessel that's there to repeat, re receive it. Um, if, you're, if, if God is, is the Holy Spirit flowing through you, then you're the spouse of the Father. You're the spouse of God. You're the spouse of the Ruach Elohim. You're the one channeling God. So you have an equal relationship like that. And then when you're the mother, when you're giving birth to God, when God's saying, Mommy, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> then you're the mother. Um, and so then that's Mem. Um, and so you do Mem and then the names of spirit. Spirit and water go together nicely. And then you have Isis Maria, that whole Alexandrian syncretization. Um, the new wine pours continually into my heart from thee, from the crown of all crowns, and melts my heart like wax in the wordless presence of thy all-pervading and formless fire. The first part was from a poem I wrote to a girl once. The second part was uh, inspired as I was writing the script. For I am the silence that is incomprehensible, and the idea whose remembrance is frequent. This is straight out of Thunder Perfect Mind. I am the voice, Thunder the Perfect Mind. I am the voice who is manifold, manifold, and the word whose appearance is multiple. I am the utterance of my name. I am thy bride and spouse, O Holy Spirit, for thou art in me as I am in thee. And then the mother is the mem part, and then it's, then you take a moment to think about what if you really were the mother of all. And then you do this uh, rosé, rebe, atori, crucis thing. Ad gloriam rosé, crucis, ad crucis rosé, gloriam per omnia, secula, seculorum, amen. So it's just a little reveal from, from the inner order, just to put the cap on the symbol, and then that's it.
So that's the S3, and I didn't intend to write an S4, and then I wrote an S4. Um, and the S4 is uh, around here somewhere. It's actually on the table in there. I was going to show it to you, but the S4 is based on... I am more Enochian. The mighty seat grounded aloud, and there were five thunders. Boom. No kin. What are you gonna do? Um. Let's see. Is there anything else that's fun? Oh yeah, I haven't even opened this yet. This is my newer magical journal. So this was, you know, I was getting into that part of Genesis. Didn't really find much, but I learned a bit, you know, that it was the name of God that said, Hagar, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you and, and Ishmael, and he's going to rise up and be an ass against all nations, and all nations will rise up against him. It'll be great, you know. And uh, so, but the God that told that to her was called the God who sees me. Very interesting. Doesn't come up anywhere else in the Bible. Um, so this is some secret seven habits of highly effective people. This is mapping out the Z formula of the neophyte initiation on a human body. See the person laying down. So you can. It was an exercise I was doing where you imagine the whole ceremony taking place inside your body. Hmm. But then that means that your head has to be the conduit connecting the hierophant with Keter. So, and then this is the vault, standing in the vault of the Adepti, doing the same thing, with the rows above and the rows below. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, fun stuff. This is like, some of it's just reflections, and some of it's like stuff that I was, I never finished this because I didn't bother, because a different and much poorer theory came about, so I ended up having to go with that one to conform. Just like with... Uh, you know, I, 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 well, a friend of mine did the math and found out that middle C was like 45 octaves away from green light. So I painted my keyboard and said, perfect, there's 12 half steps. I'll start with C at green. And I started doing this whole thing with Libra as, as C. Then I come to find out that Boda has been doing this for 90 years or whatever, and they've got C as red, and that that's traditional golden dawn. I'm like, fuck. So I had to rearrange my whole perception of how music corresponds with color and Kabbalah. And similarly, I think this made a lot more sense than this shit. Because with this one, you have to do this, like, oh, you know, the Mars one, okay, you have this, 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 and then it jumps over here for no reason. Like, what What were you thinking? Was it just, oh, I was feeling intuitive, you know. Was... So Bota got that from, from the original Dawn, temple? The, oh, the C red? Yeah. Case Pet got it from his teachers? Yeah, I guess, yeah, hmm. supposedly. Um, but... Yeah, so, you know, that happened a lot. Like, for example, someone was like, hey, we should translate this, the, the Holy Art Thou into Latin. So I went and talked to the guy who translated the Military Gloriosa, which allowed them to make uh, a funny thing happen on the way to the forum. He's an old Quaker and a master of Latin. And I told him, and I showed it to him, and I told him about the context. And based on all that, he said, ah, then it should be Holy Art Thou, Lord of the Universe, Sanctus Es, Dominus de Mundi. That Holy Art Thou, whom nature has not formed, Sanctus es qui natura non finxit. Uh, holy art thou, the vast and mighty one, ruler of the light and the darkness. Sanctus es, domini, uh, sanctus es dominus de mundi rex lucis et tenebrarum. And then some other doofus with a dictionary beat me to the punch 
And then he said, uh, no, it should be Sanctus S2, Dominus de Mundi, Sanctus S2, Priminatura non Creatosis, Sanctus S2, Vastus et Voluntus, Rector Lucius et Tenebrarum, which is the one I have memorized, even though it's not the one that I translated, it's the inferior one uh, that they went with. I had to conform, you know, even though I had the better of the two translations, because Sanctus S2 is redundant. If you're saying Sanctus S, you're obviously talking to a person, it's obviously a command. You don't say, you go, you know, you shoot the gun and say, you go! It's a race you know you just say go you know same thing and then uh and then thinks it is formed creatosis is created creation goes on on the level of creation and bria formation happens on the level of formation and yetzira different words different fucking world of the kabbalah and then the third line you know well anyway i just he went with rex he thought that had a better a better ring of of, of uh ruler than uh rector which sounds like a I don't know. Anyway, this is the vault stuff. Um, this was, I, a funny thing happened on the subway. I, um, I was going through hell one day, and uh, then I closed my eyes, and I was like, oh, I should go to my inner vault. And I went there, and it was vivid, fucking clear as day, and I couldn't believe it. I went inside, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's here. I did it. You know, it's like I've been doing vault work for so many years that I finally was able to just close my eyes and go into it, you know. And uh, so I decided to map out how the colors appeared to me when I was in my own personal vault, which is different from how they appear when I was in the physical vault at the Temple of Isis, um, but uses the same formula that, that all vaults use, um, which is to tinct the nature of the square with the nature of the planet. So you remember there were seven walls in there with the seven angels? So the green one, for instance, you take these 40 symbols and put them on the green wall, and it ends up looking like this. Um, you can find, for instance, like that, that yellow, that, that blue of the moon with the green of Venus makes that sort of teal color. Uh, the, the orange for the sun. Uh, well, in this case, I don't know. What, oh, yeah, I, I just tinted the uh, opposite of it. I tinted the, uh, I don't know what I did there. But anyway, you get the idea. These are the seven. And then I took Lon Milo Duquette's um, notes about how the Shem corresponds to the Goetia cut off the Goetia because I figured I wasn't going to use it and then use that as the basis for my um, for for my page on the Shem Hem Fresh. And then I took all these talismans with all the uh, the Shem symbols and lined them all up. Yeah. And um, and then these are the different various titles. And then there's Lon had one numbering system and the order I came in from came from had a different numbering system. So I have his numbering system here and our numbering system here so that I know which fucking Shem I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, so that's fun. And then, um, what else? I don't know. A bunch of stuff. Oh, this was my names. DNA alphabet. Um, what's that? Uh, the 72 names. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I was working on that for a while. Yeah, that's fun stuff. All from that Exodus line. Um, so here, let me grab a four-sided die real quick, and I'll show you my DNA alphabet. You know, basically. Can I take a picture of that 72 names? Oh, no. So if you look up... Oh. Like my last name, Reeb, and then DNA alphabet. You'll get this whole, like a whole bunch of different um, blog posts on the Edward Reeb blog. Um, the DNA pronunciation key, DNA alphabet memorization tool, DNA alphabet, uh, DNA alphabet word for the day is what I'm looking for. Uh, it's a, like it's talking about enzymes and proteins and peptides as if they were words. Um, which they are. Uh, so basically, this is the game. So you roll it. Okay, adenine. Okay, you roll it. Guanine. You roll it. 
uh, cytosine. Okay, so so adenine. Okay, and then guanine. Okay, and then cytosine. So you got S, or um, what the fuck is S? S is serine. So serine is here. And so these are all the different possible combinations of nucleic acids which result in serine. And so you combine all these different possible combinations using the, the hermetic way of making sigils and the particular correspondence, which I'll explain in a minute, between the nucleic acids and the elements, and you end up with this symbol. So in the, my DNA alphabet, that is the letter which is the amino acid serine. And, uh, and the pronunciation key, okay, so... This is okay, isn't it? Yeah, go for it. It's also on the oh. internet. This is just the fascinating. So, tryptophan decarboxylase is an enzyme that I uh, decided to take an interest in at one point after I had smoked some DMT, and I think having taken some ayahuasca, you might be interested in it as well. This is a little guy that every human being has in their brain and elsewhere, um, and what he does, he's got 416 some odd letters so these same letters so the the amino acids made up these, these different combinations and so the word uh, that ends up looking like this when it hits water um, is spelled that and so those are all the different letters that represent the amino acids and so okay so you know how it's spelled but how do you pronounce it well I was inspired by Enochian Mene si farar geki mavda waiavine waiemiga aiger, you know, and it goes through, and it's actually not that long, hmm. but it ends up um, saying tryptophan decarboxylase. Sounds like a Tibetan chant. I know, yeah. It's a 480-letter DNA word. In other words, it's a protein molecule made up of 480 amino acids. Uh, skip a bit, brother Maynard. It catalyzes several different decarboxylation reactions. In other words, it separates carbon dioxide from certain molecules. Okay, skip a bit. Tryptophan decarboxylase uses... Okay, skip a bit. Oh, you need to take B6. Um, it, it'll take... I'll, I'll sum up. What it does is... There's another one, and I forget its name. So these two enzymes work together. Three, actually, if you count the one that you that you take the inhibitor for. So they all work together in the D DMT dance of the brain. There's this guy, and he what he does is he'll take a tryptophan, which is one of these letters. A trip, It's one of the letters that the whole fucking language is written in. He'll take one of those, and he'll go boop, and, and flick off a carbon dioxide, and then just fuck off. He's done. He's done his job. And so, so it's now no longer tryptophan, it is now tryptamine, which is part of every tryptamine. <laughs> and um, then this other enzyme that's only got 268 letters comes up and goes, <laughs> and then fucks off. And what it just did was, it uh, uh, put, well, it put a carbon with three hydrogens on, and then it did it again. They methylated it, that's what it is. So it comes up and methylates it twice. And then you have DMT. And then the third enzyme comes along and says, oh, fuck, it's DMT, and comes over and dismantles it as quickly as possible. Because you're not supposed to have too much DMT around outside of certain parts of the, you know, the pineal, because then you'll hallucinate and you'll crash the car and all that. Um, so that, that enzyme's there. It's a friend. And we intentionally um, and suppress it when we know we're not going to be driving cars and we've got a nice you know, a shaman there looking after us or whatever. Um, so that's the dance of DMT in the brain and these three these three creatures slash words of the D DNA. They're written in the DNA in chromosome number seven in every human being. 
So, yeah. And it's written differently in other, and it's formed in, in plants in different ways with something similar, a similar dance of, of an enzyme. Hmm. And so this is the real magic as far as I'm concerned. This other wow. bullshit, this Golden Dawn shit, is just a waste of, of mental space. This is, this is what I should have been studying all along. Do you know about DNA activation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you spend 400 bucks and you go for a weekend and they put a point of crystal at you and then you psychosomatically feel a little better or whatever. Yeah, I know about it. I, you know, I, I'm nice to people when they invite me. I say no thank you with a smile and, and say I, I used to help out a, a, a similar personality type with his weird healing thing. So I know where you're coming from. Actors. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's fun stuff. I don't what know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, like two... maybe I'm, I, I, maybe I shouldn't disregard DNA activation so, so callously. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's just as, it's just as. I haven't had mine activated. So. I, I don't know. It just seems like ridiculous to me. But one time, my, uh, I was going to say my stepdad when I met my cult leader, he had a blasting rod in the style of Westcott, and then he put a crystal on it when he started dating a new age girl, and he showed it to me once at dinner, and I said, "You blast that DNA," and he said, "Fuck you," and he put it away. And then later he was like, "You got to give me space to reinvent myself." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, fair enough." So one thing is, as much as I disagreed with him, I agreed that Golden Dawn ought to reach out to New Agers. So I, I, I don't want to talk so much shit. So are Golden Dawners, or are they Old Agers? Well, yeah, some of them, they poo-poo New Agers. My dad, I have a soundbite of my dad saying, I do not like the term New Age. I consider my esoteric commitment to be like George Sulky and the Fifth Symphony, and I consider a lot of these New Agers to be more like Huckleberry Duck and the neighborhood amateur barbershop quintet that doesn't know how to sing. That was my dad's opinion about New Agers. So, I mean, yeah, hanging out with Source family and stuff like that, that's a, that's a, a, a John Reeb 2.0 we upgrade, you know, the, to not be such an arrogant ass about being a high magician. This was when I was designing the symbol that would uh, become the wedding symbol for Janie and I that we put on our invitations. It's very, you know, she did the, the trees. Oh, that's cool. I did the concept. She made it look like wood. And, uh, yeah, it's very beautiful. Kel looks Celtic. Yeah, exactly. We were going for Celtic, Jewish, but also like geometric and natural, yeah. like, you know, combining a lot of opposites. Cool. Not that Celtic and Jewish awesome. are necessarily opposites, but this is, uh, you know, uh, if you yeah, really great, want to be a nerd. He had a great chessboard. It was all. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's much better than this one. Wood, each one, the little. Oh, things wow. all glued together and they were all three dimensional and they were all painted. That must on have each. taken forever. So yeah, these are flows of energy on the watchtowers, uh, and, and how different things are flow in different directions, and, and what the logic is, and how you can try to get used to it. <sighs> and then this is some of the interactions with the Enochian seniors. My favorite, Anodoinu, appearance. Turban-like orange headpiece with diamond-shaped stone at the front, silver, metallic mercury, orange-red on a on a something, bare horse dog of golden orange, serene, right hand a scepter, left holds a chain, power, the impetus of thoughts, the first spark of thoughts, the ideas which contain the rest, below implied, 
from here is possible to see the whole picture at once, but only for the one experiencing. Hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, that's how Nodoni knew. I love him. He's the Mercury Fire Senior in the Book of Revelation, where it talks about the 24 elders that sit around the throne of God chanting, Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, the way I was taught, these guys won't take you seriously unless you're at the throne of God chanting, Holy, 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 right there with them. And, and so you have to approach them with this great respect. And uh, then you ask, hey, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> you know, I need it for my, for my um, grimoire. So this is just how they looked to me, not, not from any... Someone explained once that uh, us approaching them and trying to get their attention was like, imagine that there's... A, a scholar and he's sitting by the fire on a cold winter night mm -hmm. he's reading a book and he's smoking his pipe and he's got his legs crossed and a mouse comes out through the whole yeah. wall and comes over and like tries to get his attention <laughs> and he just ignores it <laughs> hmm. and then so the the problem is how do you get his attention and then you have the larger problem of like convincing him to help you in some way right and i th thought that that was really helpful i heard a a, a, a similar but different story is a, about pronunciation and not needing to have pronun perfect pronunciation because what if you were sitting there and a mouse came up and said hey edward but said it with a weird accent would you listen <laughs> <laughs> pronounce your name yeah exactly like but you're a human and it's a mouse you'd be like what's that now <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah even if he didn't get a perfect pronunciation where's my flies water yeah <laughs> spiritual alchemy equals philosophy the arabs absorbed the knowledge of alexandrian alchemists from 9th to 11th centuries spain albert the great roger bacon nicholas flamel paracelsus find a watts photo with a joint the philosopher is stoned Gods and angels, archetypes, demons, neurosis, spiritual essence missing from psychology, conscious, ruach, subconscious, higher self, collective unconscious, personal unconscious, blah, blah. This is in 2012. Yeah. Oh, this is Chick Cicero. He came to Power Week that year. So he gave you a, a lecture about on spiritual, spiritual alchemy. alchemy and psychology. Hmm. And this was a later rendering of uh, Temperance. Hmm. You saw the earlier one. So you drew your own deck? Yeah, just certain cards. Yeah, this was our history of... Well, the history of the Egyptian pantheon, as best as it could be kind of like put into terms that could be explained and kind of addressed some of the con contradictions a little bit. My notes weren't as good as the actual class. Um, oh, yeah, this one I decided that this would be my signature for Pymander Aquarium after Jen named me Pymander Aquarium. And then this was when I, it was like magical, and then now it's like, okay, this is, I'm cooking myself some ayahuasca, <laughs> and then I'm dividing up the world. This, this is where I uh, decided who I would invite to things, social only, magic only, both. And, uh, and, and top of the was, list is Damien. Yeah, after I was leaving. Then I was started, then my first yoga sequence. I first started teaching yoga, and then, uh, oh yeah, then I started taking notes about smart drugs and deciding what pills to take to get my brain to work. 
and uh, then what's this? Oh yeah, I was deciding how to format the to be a yogi podcast. Then, oh, this is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I lost my notebook for the the sci-fi. I have one of those podcasts, the seven daunting podcasts. Yeah, it'll take your time. It can take years at it if you want. Um, but like one of them is the Coffee House and Interdimensional Odyssey, and that's going to be my sci-fi, epic sci-fi novel. Thing. And so this is about that. Um, so in 1919, Theodore Caluza theorized the fourth dimension to explain electromagnetic force. Uh, okay, so the island is a metaphor. The coffee. This is, by the way, this is just my own writing down and establishing. Um, the behind-the-scenes stuff that I don't intend to share, you know? So I'm probably not even going to include this. The island is a metaphor. The coffee... Or maybe I will. The coffee house, like us, is mostly salt water because you're on an island and you're surrounded by the ocean. Um, the pyramid is mostly a mystery. It was built by our ancestors, but no one knows exactly who or how. We or make, for what. Yeah. We make great leaps to find each other and communicate, for which which we take for granted. So that's there's all these things tied up in the symbolism of, of this environment I call the coffee house. Um, two things, smell of popcorn, and I don't know, I didn't do anything with that idea. It exists in the ninth dimension, between the ninth and fourth dimensions. Uh, whoever you are on the island, you can see a, a door, a door that uh, exists inside the coffee house, the door of the universe. That is not very clear notes, but... Uh, Ten dimensions of space, one dimension of time. What about the doors to other coffee houses? Sometimes involves the distant projections of doors on neighbors' islands. The other side of the door. Five times 0.01 infinity, a physical universe. An astral level. But 99.9% .9 an empty, non-potential, non-manifest designated address. So the location of the coffee house is in an empty, non-potential, non-manifest designated address. But... It also exists and is anchored in the fact that it has a door to a real universe. And it has nine doors to a real universe, except sometimes it'll have one door to another island. Mm. So it'll only have eight doors to a real universe. So that flat, two-dimensional doorway is actually anchoring this thing, not only in reality, but in all realities. I wonder how this relates to my Stargate idea. It probably does. I think we should come together with these some of these ideas because this I'm doing it as fiction, so I can free my mind up enough to like actually put some ideas together. I'll bet you one of the one of the symmetry axes is this address. Yeah. So I, I have a malachite floor. It's green, the earth with vegetation, swirled by time, but frozen still from our perspective. The way that malachite looks, you know, mm. malachite. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so here's this weird idea. So, the cube of space open on one side, all ten, down here. The multi-dimensional origami, multi origami. So the matter-energy-space-time universe, one, three, four, one, two, three, four. One dimension, two dimension, three dimension, four dimension. This moment only is um, the first four dimensions. And then... Uh, the fifth dimension is the whole universe at once, all possible timelines. And so so the doorways, you can leap out into a different parallel, you know, like the common parallel dimension. You know, the one the where, multiverse. Yeah, the one where Nixon is still alive or whatever. Um, and then from there, you get into different universe types. And then 
Well, no, you get into universe type A or M. I hadn't decided. Just the main universe type, our universe type. So all the universes of our type. So now we're not in parallel universes anymore. We're in other universes that happen to be programmed the same way. So that's up in the sixth dimension. And then you get up into the seventh dimension where you have multiple universe types all floating around as if they were two-dimensional squares in an infinite three-dimensional space, but they don't intersect because of the vast spaces in between them where universes can't exist. So the particles, the way particles are uh, relating to each other don't come together in a universe. It just doesn't work. The universe is over before it begins. And so there's all these vast spaces. The, the, the flat parts that actually float around are the universe types that work. And so when you get into those flat spaces, then you have an infinite or number or 10 to the power of 60, whatever. Um, number of universes of that particular type, each with its own parallel, the or the equivalent of the concept of, of parallel timelines. And so these doors lead there too. So if you want to take your body with you, you got to be careful, or you can you and can. Uh, when were you doing this? Oh, this is just last, couple years ago. Last year, yeah. This is really recent. Hmm. And then we're, um, we're both tuned into the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, this so, is an egregore. Yeah. Then you get up into possible types, impossible types. Oh, here we go. Something involving the nature of particles is uh, up here, <laughs> maybe beyond the different that universe types. scientific. Yeah. And then, well, it's my notes, you know. It's, it's sub subtext, like the behind-the-scenes stuff I'm not telling people. Like, I'm just telling so the story. So this is seven? So this is, uh, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. seven. So is, this is eight. Eight is something involving the nature of particles. Hmm. And then the ninth dimension is the quantum foam generating all possible and impossible universe types. So that's uh, that's nine. That's God mind, you know, stuff. That's Akashic record, you know, bubbling in past and present, you know, both directions. Ten is Atman. Ten is Atman. They, so you're saying that there are ten dimensions. Well, with the tenth one being the one we can't see because it's us. We're the ones that are emanating all nine. You can't see your own reflection without looking in the puddle. And, even, and then you look like you're living and dying because of the ripples. Hmm. So this is basically, you know, it's all, they're all shaped differently. The thing they all have in common is they all have this pyramid, they all have the tables, they all have the doors, and they all have the malachite, they all have the cliff, they're all surrounded by water. The shape is different, the people are different. Clara's the same, she's the barista, but she has a different outfit and a different personality on each island. How many islands are there? About eight septillion. And this is in a podcast? Yeah. Which podcast is that again? The Coffeehouse and Interdimensional Odyssey. Which I must confess... I haven't listened to There's only three episodes. My buddy Chris O'Malley, I told you about my best buddy, he complains that I, I take too long in between episodes. But I'm telling him it's going to be a quality product. I'm not going to rush this shit. The Esoteric Nerd, I'm cranking them out like... But I'm not going to do that with my sci-fi. I'm serious about my sci-fi. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, this is an example. This is a two-dimensional flat portal that you can walk through as a four-dimensional being into one universe, two universe, three universe. But this one goes into another coffeehouse island. So you're coming from one of these islands to another island, almost just like it, but different. And so that's one way you can pass through the door. Another way is um, into a universe like this, and then another way is into some other whatever, 5D, 6D, 7D, 8D. So, mm. so, so you, uh, my protagonist is going to have to learn. Now check this out. Gordon Beam, the one whose robe I have, I went over to his house and I, told, I read him the first chapter of my novel and he loved it. And, I, and, and he was like, I, I love the idea of world creation, going in and out of worlds. And I said, but my problem is, how do I get Charles to go into other universe types 
without with with the, with this body from this universe and he's like well, fuck it you don't don't let mest bring you down you know mest is a scientology term matter energy space time and uh yeah, don't don't get stuck in mess just go just break out just create these worlds just do it just make it happen and i was like okay you're right i will thank you gordon i love you i gave him a hug and then he sat down in his bed and he looked straight ahead and the next morning he was dead and uh, so I feel like I inspired him to fucking go out the door. It was his job yeah. to encourage you. Yeah. And once he accomplished that... <laughs> yeah. He checked out. And so, yeah, here's some more just drawings and ideas about it. This is the little mm. boy that wandered in for the first time with his parents. This is his parents in the den. And that's uh, his mom telling him about the coffee house. And then his dad puts his hand on the wall. The door starts to appear. The door's clear. His dad steps through. His mom steps through. The kid steps through. Hmm. This is what it was like. He was terrified. His heart was racing. And then I got derailed and started getting into the Hanya Shingyo, that thing hanging over there. And then brain drugs to acquire. And then to be a yogi podcast. What does it do for the listener? I am started asking really what, what am I doing with this to be a yogi podcast? This is before I even thought to do an esoteric nerd podcast. And then uh, I put it together and then made the mission statement and started getting into Bitcoin and uh, what's this goal? Everyone in the world to have perfect knowledge of how to safely and effectively practice yoga. That's it. Hmm. The rest is blank. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check out Coffee House and Interdimensional Odyssey. I think you'll like that a lot. And uh, I got to get back on that. But I mean, honestly, I've been working on it since 1999. That that what is now the podcast. So there's yantra. Tantra means web. Yantra means something else, right? Uh, it's either is it vehicle? Yeah, or is something maybe maybe yana is vehicle. Um, maybe yantra is also vehicle. What Jody likes to say, and she said it on her interview, is the yantra. Uh, let's see, the mantra. No, the yantra is the vehicle, and the mantra is the gasoline. Oh really? Oh, I see. So the the symbol that you focus on, it starts out explaining the mandala. Across the mandala. Okay, so the yantra. Isn't it's a mandala. mandala. It is a mandala. Yes. Oh. It's not a word for it as far as that's my understanding. Oh, okay. Oh, this was a Canadian temple's uh, newsletter that they would put out every month. The Imperator was a very great artist. Well, thank you for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd podcast tonight. <laughs> it was my pleasure. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Did you really listen to that whole thing? Are you asleep? Did you fall asleep listening to that episode? I don't blame you. Three hours and 45 minutes? Well, it's, it's definitely a new record. Thank you to everybody who I should be thanking. And I'm going to go to sleep.
けない。